Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Carl Nelson Show. Good morning, Wake Up Squad, and thanks for kicking off your week with us again. Later, Doctor of Clinical Psychology, Jeff Menzies will return to our classroom. Jeff is to discuss why media stories are driving a wedge between black men and black women. Before we hear from Dr. Jeff, though, veteran gospel record executive James Bullard will debut his book, As Far As You Can See, You Can Go. But to get us started, Baltimore relationship expert Renee Miller is here. Good morning, Renee. Good morning, Carl. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am fabulous. No complaints. Early morning. Uh, yeah, yeah. Early morning, right. But you know what? <laughs> we're okay. But a lot of people, for this time of year, it's so stressful. Can Because we're going yeah. into the holiday season. Can you explain why that is? Yeah, I think a lot of us have context of what we're supposed to be doing. Um, whether it's for our family, what we're supposed to purchase, how we're supposed to keep up with all of the uh, ideologies and the habits of this time. And a lot of us are still caught up in the expectation without really evaluating if, if it's healthy for us or, if, or what we need to adjust. But I think it's, it's mostly us just kind of keeping up with what we've done in this society and not knowing how to break away our families our jobs and so forth. Right. And, and, and you, this is also sometimes for some people, one of the loneliest times of the year, your relationship yeah. expert, how do people cope with that? Those people who were quote unquote single and, you know, don't have a, don't have a, a significant other. Yeah, this is, this is a big one. I would definitely say one of the things that I, feel is essential for folks is not to suffer in silence, like, you know, not to sit around and focus on what you don't have during the holiday season, but make time to do things that really speak to your soul and edify you. Because sometimes this time of the year kind of um, like expands how much we don't have or what we would wish we would have. And I think because there's so much of social media nowadays, we get to see it as always in our face. Um, but I would say definitely don't suffer in silence. Spend time doing things that edify your spirit. Um, for example, I know when I was uh, right coming out a year out of my divorce, I made time to do a eat, pray, and love tour just for me. And I went away and traveled. And it was one of the best times of my life because I reframed my loneliness or my singleness and and created it to be a time where I was just loving on myself. All right. Let me ask you the personal question at three after the top there. When you were single and you know, it's Thanksgiving and, and beyond what the whole, another story about the, the concept of Thanksgiving, but it's just family getting together. Were you under pressure that you've got to find a date? You've got to get, you've got to, you've got to get questions about your, your, your life. You're sick. Why are you single? All that kind of stuff. It, it, how do people deal with that? 
Yeah, I did. You know, I I I didn't get it from a lot of people, but you know, my intermediate my immediate family was kind of like, you know, what's what's happening. For me, I felt like I dealt with it because I had made peace that I blessed and released that relationship, and I just wasn't gonna let um, anyone, including family, kind of dictate how I felt about that decision or where I was in my life. And so I think that's the most important thing is people have to really be confident and balanced in where they are and not make anyone's uh, impression of their singleness mean anything about them. And that's the hardest part is to really get your mind right around how you interpret what's happening. But absolutely, I think family um, wants the best for you and, you know, they will ask those kinds of questions, but evenly so when I was in an unhappy situation, they still ask questions. So <laughs> I'd rather it be um, me being able to really answer the questions from self-assurance versus feeling overwhelmed. All right, let's go there. If if you're in unhappy relationship right now, how do you handle that, Renee? Do do a family ask you how you guys doing? Uh, and if you're alone, do you do you tell them the truth or or just just gloss over it? Say, oh, we good, you know, everything's good. Or do you just, man, I can't wait to get out of this relationship, even though the, the, your significant others in the other room. How do you deal with that, Renee? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, we it, a lot of times in a black culture we keep things to ourselves, and I understand why because we don't want uh, too much in our business that could cause more damage than not. At the same time, I would say if you have a family member that has wise, wise counsel, like we've gotten away from the wise counsel of our elders, I have found that talking to, like I have a cousin that I talk to, and if I was in an unhappy relationship, I would talk to her because, yes, we do need to be able to not, again, suffer in silence and torture ourselves. And so I would say if there's a family member that's wise counsel, because we do have them, uh, we don't utilize them enough, but we do have them, I would speak to that person and really talk to them for guidance. Now, in terms of telling the whole family, not so much, especially if my mate doesn't know, like he may not know that I'm still in the way. And so I need to be integral and talk with him first before going to my family. All right. And that's an excellent point right there, because sometimes the other p party does not know that you're unhappy. Is is that possible, though? One, is that possible? If you, you know, you're living together and one person is unhappy and, and somehow he's not picking up the cues that you're unhappy. Should you just come out and say uh, oh, he or she will say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not happy with this particular relationship. But should we have that open discussion or should we find somebody like yourself to help us to, you know, get through, sort that out? How do you see it? Both and both. <laughs> so what I would say is absolute. So what, this is something we talk about in the love camp all the time. We talk about how do you create the skills? Because a lot of us don't have the skills. So we don't tell our partner or our mate that we're unhappy because we don't know how. So if we knew how, I would say definitely honor that person and communicate. But if you don't know how to communicate, you do need to hire a coach or you need to talk to a coach or a counselor that can really support what you're trying to communicate and, and really get clear on what's in the way of you communicating. Is it a fear of response? Is it not knowing how to say it? Is it you not being sure, sure what you want? 
there's a lot of reasons why people are not able to communicate. But again, in the love stand, we talk a lot about integrity and um, helping our community by being better in our own relationship. And so I would say, yes, you tell them. But when you tell them how you tell them, that's the skill that you need to to hone in on and understand so there can be an effective conversation and it can be received on both parts. All right, family, it's eight after the top of the hour with Baltimore relationship expert Renee Miller. And this time of the year, as you just mentioned, can be very, very stressful for a lot of folks because the expectations of, from family members and friends that you have somebody on your arm, or whether, whether you can rent them or not. And you've heard those stories, too, I'm sure, Renee. We've seen them in the movies. People rent somebody, take them home for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. Uh, how do you, how do you get to that stage though? What what what's the, the the pressure that makes you feel the expectations of my family members? You know, you may have a nosy mom or a nosy dad. Well, usually it's not someone. You know, I want to stereotype the mothers, but usually, especially you know, they're asking what's going on with you. Where, you know, where's where's the, your boyfriend? Where's your husband? How do how do you deal with that? Is that an ex, is that? I guess I guess my question is if you have to rent somebody for the holidays. Is that as far as it goes, or is it, can it get any worse than that? You know, it's funny we're having this conversation because me and my love were literally just talking about this last week on a road trip we took to meet with our coaches. And what I understood, because I was really surprised, I was like, do people do that? And, you know, what I've learned from that conversation and just movies that I've seen that I never really took serious is that people do that to preserve their image or amplify their image. So it's either, I want my image to look good, this person's going to make me look good, um, or I don't want to, I want to avoid the, the disappointment or the perceived shame of me coming, showing up lonely or by myself. And I think at the end of the day, um, you know, those of us that want healthy love, I get it, but healthy love starts itself. And that's the hardest part. And then depending on your vibration, you'll be able to start receiving different results from doing the work. And so you won't feel like you have to like lie about your life um, to preserve an image. And I, and I get it. It's okay if you want to take someone because you enjoy their company, you think they'll be good around the family. It's fun. It's light, but there's no, misunderstanding of who this person is. But it's a whole different thing if it's I'm going to create a line of image just to stay safe. And again, I know it's rough in some people's families. I, I, I get it. But at the end of the day, if you want healthy love, it starts with you being healthy first. All right. Uh, Ten after the top there. What would you say some folks have already uh, got their contracts up for their other person to come to uh, Thanksgiving dinner and, and Christmas, they probably get a, a two for one for <laughs> renting them. What do you say to them? Should should they do that? Also, they just uh, cancel it and, and just deal with the situation themselves, and you know, just basically just to hell with what with, with, with grandma or, or anybody else in the family thinks. Uh, how how should they deal with that, Renee? The, the latter is my opinion, but again, I can't tell people what to do, but I definitely feel like. Um, it, the question I would ask them to ask themselves is at the end of the day, is this going to create the long-term result you're looking for? If they can say no to that question, then I would say find another alternative and do the work. And that's, again, 
what we focus on with the left hand? How do you how do you do the work with yourself so that you you won't feel pressure to take someone and create a lie? Now again, is this a lie? Is this somebody just enjoys and your family knows it and they're clear? Then it's different. Right, eleven after the top of that, we Renee Miller, relationships expert. She says this time of the year is sort of st- very stressful for some people. But Renee, what about the, you know young people can always go on the internet and they can you know rent a person to be there on their arm for the for the holidays. But elderly, who they, how do you how do the elderly deal with it? Because it's, it's a whole different set of circumstances with our elder community. Yeah, and I, and that's what makes me a little sad because we've gotten away from our elders quite a bit. Um, I think it depends on what we are, what that elder is in need of. So, for example, if that elder doesn't have as much family, you know, they only have one one child and it's an adult child, it's in a different city or living their best life or whatever, I think we need to um, make time to connect with those elders. So a neighbor or a family member, we need to make time, but if the elder feels like they need to do something on their own. I have seen support groups online. I've actually seen events online for elders. I've seen senior centers do different things. So I think it's a matter of um, them having help to look for resources. And if they're vibrant, like my um, my aunt is, she's always on the internet, Facebook, the whole thing. I would say, um, they need to do some research in this, their area, and there are a lot of events um, that that usually support holiday time and helping everybody, including the elderly. So I think um, if they do some searches in their city, they may be able to find something. And if not, there's usually something online. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, family, just waking up 13 after the top of the hour with Baltimore relationships expert. Her name is Renee Miller. She runs the Love Camp. She's a certified love coach, and we're discussing the stressfulness of these holiday seasons, uh, you know, living up to the expectations of others. You want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We've got to take a quick break and take our first look at the traffic and weather in our different cities. But we'll be back in four minutes with Renee and your phone calls right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with Baltimore relationship expert uh, Renee Miller discussing the, what's, what's going on in some people's lives at this time of the year. She says it's the most stressful time of the year heightened because of the holidays, you know. And so my question to you, Renee, is how can, what sort of techniques can you share with us for folks who are going to be by themselves this holiday instead of just sitting there watching the football games and have nobody to talk to, no phone calls? What sort of techniques do they can to, to uh, you know, to combat those feelings of isolation? Well, I think that, you know, 
Yeah, that's a really good, great question. I think it's really important that, again, people keep their vibration high. And I know that sounds like, you know, a little out there, but it really is important that your mind and your spirit and your body is in a good place. And so some of the things that are more obvious that they can do is definitely during this holiday time, keep a balanced body. You keep a good diet, even though I know this is the time where we're eating everything fat and sweet and good for you. Uh, it's not good for you, but it really is important if you're already feeling away. Sometimes food is going to exacerbate that, especially if you don't feel well after you eat it. Um, again, simple things like getting good quality sleep is, is really important. But then something that's not as common that I think people could do around this time, and this this is harder at first, but it's great if you consistently do it. And that's every day. Think about several things that you're grateful for. Because that will change how you're seeing things. It'll, it's almost like it'll give you a whole different lens of how you perceive things. But then also do stuff that really makes you feel good. Like, And think about what you're making this time mean. Like sometimes holidays bring nostalgia for us because of either our childhood and we want some of that back and it's a time where people are gathering. But, you know, reframe how you're identifying with this time because that's going to be really important for your long term as, you know, the new holidays come. So I think definitely practicing those things are really important. And then also I have had some of my clients uh, journal like what they, what the new vision or what their new experience they want to be. Because even if it's not this holiday, the more you keep your your mind focused on the vision that you have for your life, it will happen. But you can't stay focusing on what you don't have. You got to focus on what you want so that you can start creating something different. All right. So, Renee, what, how do we deal with the media, though? You know, are you going to see on TV all these shows about families and Christmas and presents and all of this kind of stuff? You just turn on the radio, they're playing the, the OJ's family reunion ad infinitum, and, and you're thinking about your family, and you're, you're there by yourself, and you have no one to turn to, no one to even pick up the phone and call. How do you deal with that? So, a couple of things. I have found that. There is, a, there is at least somebody that you can call, and even if it's just one person. And if that is not the case, let's say that is not the case. One of the best things that I have done is that I have found opportunities to be in the midst of celebrations. Like when I was um, single and I really wasn't feeling good about being by myself, all of a sudden I don't have family, my family was from out of town and my spouse's family was a family I used to go to and then here I am divorced and now I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And I purposely went out and did things that were amongst people that was jovial and joyful. I didn't do that the whole time because other times I did things that were in the house and made me feel good. Like a lot of times I wanted to practice new recipes, and they were alternative recipes of the ones that were fat and rich, but they were still good um, with tasting, and I wanted to explore those. Or there was times that I would um, get in the house and I would create 
my vision for the next year, things that I really enjoy. So I always found something to do that would take my mind off of I don't have a mate or I don't have family in town with me. And then here's the thing. I think a lot of us have to get out of the mindset that we don't have anyone because the more we perpetuate that thought process, the more we won't have anyone, whether it's a special person or family or friends. The more we start being open to different circumstances coming in our lives, we would be surprised how that changed. And I know for some people, that's like, no, that ain't how it works. But it really is a big part of changing our lives. Like I teach my clients not only practical skills, but also the skills that are what you think about, how you frame your life is a huge impact on the results you get. Well, let me ask you this, though. You know, is, is it okay to be single? Is it okay not to have a significant other? Is it okay just to be by yourself? Are you considered something wrong? With, must be something wrong with me or something wrong? People will look at me, something's wrong with him or her if, if they don't have a, a partner. So as a love coach, I would want everybody to have a partner in their life. And I believe that when it's your new season, you can have a partner in your life. And until then, it is okay to not have a partner. It is okay. There's nothing. We walk around um, letting society convince us there's something wrong with us, especially I hear a lot of times um, women and men are asked, well, why, don't, why, why are you single? And it's such a, a loaded question for many people, and I get it. People want to understand the season in your life. But at the end of the day, until you, two things or three things happen, one, you uh, have your vibration high enough to attract that person. Two, you do the work that will help you to understand why you're not with someone, whether it's a conscious choice or not. And three, um, be able to learn the skills, the relationship skills, to maintain a relationship, it's okay to be without one. Almost like this is the in-between time. I know that my love is on my on the way, and in between, I'm going to be able to maintain my healthy state of mind in spite of. All right, 27 at the top of with uh, Baltimore uh, relationship expert, Renee Miller. She runs the Love Camp. Uh, Renee, do some of your clients, do they come to you looking for the hookup or they just uh, want to work on themselves? How do you deal with them when they come to you and they, and they you know, they say they've, you know, maybe had two or three divorces and, and it just seems like they can't find anybody. And, and, and let me throw this one in there. You're the old saying that there is somebody for everybody. I want to get your thoughts on both of those. <laughs> So I typically don't attract clients that um, want to just have the hookup. That's that's a good thing because that's not what I um, support. I think it requires some effort and some work and some consciousness. So I would say no to the hookup. Um, I meet people that are genuinely interested in being better versions of themselves so they can attract a quality partner. Um, what was your second question, Paul? The, the, the question is, we, well, there's a statement that we keep hearing. There, there is somebody for everybody on this planet. You just got to find that person. Is this something you agree with? I think I do believe that. I, I do. And that's a hard one because, you know, there are some people, like I have 
friends that are like, man, I would have never thought in my uh, 50s I'm single or I would have never thought, you know, this or that. But I really take pride in supporting my clients to know how to uh, create and attract a healthy relationship because it is intentional action. Even if people are like, man, I just met somebody and I didn't even expect to meet them. Something about their energy shifted. And sometimes they're not conscious of it. And I help my clients to be able to, to learn how to shift their energy, but then they also need to learn practical skills, like how do you communicate effectively? How do you be honest? How do you show respect? The things that are oftentimes are not in order with relationships, and that's why either they don't last or they don't start effectively to begin with. So I do believe there's someone out there for everyone. Whether you find them or not is up to your vibration and the skills that you implement. All right. 30 after the top there, I got to ask you this. How do you know the one that this is the one? You know how it is? You go through the honeymoon stage of a relationship. After a while, uh, well, it's time to move on or, you know, or it just plays out. How do you know that the, when you meet that person? Because some people, I've heard people say, as soon as I met him, you know, we, they're talking about the Carters, and they immediately when they met, you know, Rosalind Carter passed away yesterday. But as soon as they met, she said she knew that he was the one. How do you know that? <laughs> I think it's different for different people. Um, I think it, it really depends on what they've been asking for, how that person makes them feel. Um, I think it depends on how they connect together. So I would say it's different things. But I would say the number one thing that I think makes the most sense is being able to listen to the inner voice and feeling at some point. Because sometimes it's not instantaneously for people. So, like my love said it was the first thing. He was like, I knew. But there are different times that you have moments where you're clicking and you're vibing. And you intuitively know something that confirms to you, this is it. But I think the number one thing that I think helps people to really get super clear on how that person resonates with them is how that person makes them feel around different moments. Um, because, you know, we want to feel safe. We want to feel seen and heard and respected and loved on. How does that person make you feel? Um, I've even said home, you know, like, does that person make you feel home? Um, those are factors to consider for sure. All right. As a relationship coach, how long should the probation period last in a relationship? <laughs> how do you know, kind of like, you know, this is the one, all right, are we going to jump the broom or, you know, how long do you wait? You know, it's again, that's such an open question, but what I would say is that I've found People genuinely have a sense of who a person is um, within six months. Like within six months, um, people know if this is, and they know sooner if they want to be around this person. So it doesn't take a year to know if you want to commit to a person. But seeing them in different life and different seasons, which is what I encourage, I have found that usually it takes about, three to six months to see consistent. And this is predicating that you spend time with them, that there's a consistent rapport, that you're gradually getting closer, all of the things that help you to 
to see more of the person in their life and their habits. So as you progressively go through the process, and remember, there are four stages to a relationship. So to your point, that honeymoon phase is, is about 18 months. So we got Actually, hold that thought right there, Renee. We got to take a short break. I don't want, and, and I'm not sure people like yourself, you said there are four phases to a relationship. And I know some of the listeners are probably like me saying, huh, I know, I know the first phase, the, the honeymoon phase, but the, the, the other three phases, we got to take a short break here. We got to take our first look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. Help us out when we come back and tell us about those phrases. And I got a tweet, uh, tweet comment for you from one of our listeners. Uh, 26 minutes away from the top there, our guest is Baltimore relationship expert Renee Miller. She runs a love camp. Uh, folks who have issues in that particular part of the of their life, this is the lady you need to talk to, especially at this time of the year. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Take your phone calls and your comments in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour, we have a relationship expert, Renee Miller. She says that this time of the year is, is uh, very stressful for some people. And she says, oh, there's somebody for everyone. Before we uh, get back to her, though, uh, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to kind of have the same kind of conversation, though, with the uh, doctor of clinical psychology, Jeff Menzies. He says the media stories, he wants to discuss the media stories that are driving a wedge between black men and black women. Before we hear from Dr. Jeff, we're going to talk with uh, veteran gospel record executive James Bullard and his debut of his book, As Far As You Can See, you can go. That's the title of the book. And later this week, you're going to hear from the multi-talented researcher, Brother Keedy, also Pan-Africanist, Dr. David Horn, banking and financial expert, Donald Parker, futuristic researcher, Brother Sadiqa Bakari, and also homeless advocate, the, the Minister Christina Flowers. They're all going to be here this this week, so make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB in Baltimore. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Renee, before I take a call for you, you said there are four stages of relationships that we go through and you mentioned first the honeymoon phase where everybody's probably familiar with that one but what are the other three <laughs> exactly the next one is the early attachment phase like think about it it's like usually 12 months to like five years and then there's the crisis phase and that's usually five years or seven years this is why we always hear if you get past the seven years you're okay so the crisis stage is five years, so about seven years. And then the final stage is like that deep attachment stage. And that's anything over seven years and beyond. And that's not to say that things don't happen because you still hear people separating after 20 years. But they they were had a stage of deep attachment anytime after seven years. So those are the, the four phases and the stages of relationship development. Um, that can happen as we're building and committing to others. Gotcha. 18 away from the top. Yeah, Ron's joining us. He's on line two. He's calling from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Ron. You're on with Renee. Is Ron there on line two? Kevin? Not hearing Ron. All right. Let, let me, let, let's uh, do this. I got a tweet question for you. Tweet us. Uh, Renee, still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, cool. Twitter says, I make it a point to drive out of town and pick up my grandparents to make sure they're not alone. It means so much to them at this time of the year. We're going to get your thoughts on that. I love that. I absolutely love that. I used to go pick up my mom. I'd do the same thing. I would 
drive to go. She lives in Pittsburgh, and I would go to uh, pick her up from D.C. every holiday because she was insistent to stay in Pittsburgh. And so I would drive her, uh, come up and bring her to the DMV area and uh, spend holidays with her. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Make time for yeah, and, 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 We don't do that enough. <laughs> and, and and the four stages that you mentioned, you mentioned, of course, the one we're familiar with with the honeymoon phase or the seven-year itch. You know, what causes that seven-year itch? Is, 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 it, is it built in or something? Or it's just after seven years, you're just like, uh, okay, uh, this, you know, time out. we, we got to move on. How, how do you see what, what causes that? And what can be done to, to you know, to, to uh, resolve that issue? Well, uh, apparently... Um... A couple of things. We start to go through more drifting apart a lot of times. And so that drifting apart, if they don't catch it, something about the way our brains function at that seven-year mark starts to really start looking for other alternatives. And when I thought about my past relationships, that was the case. So I would say a couple of things to keep in mind to, to overcome that. One is definitely practice healthy relationship skills throughout. Don't wait until you start to feel a crisis or a challenge. Or One of the things that me and my love do is we take any micro or small thing that we can sense, not anything, but if we sense something that we haven't addressed, we'll talk about it because we don't want to wait until things start to, like, seep over and become bigger problems. So make a point to stay connected and do check-ins. Maybe you're not checking in with every little thing, but you are checking in where you can sense or you tune into things that didn't feel right. Like, hey, we had a little bit of an issue that, that kind of, I've seen that that annoyed you and that's come up before. How, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, why did that trigger you versus us acknowledge, like seeing things happening, and then we just let them go like as if they didn't happen because it wasn't a big blow up. But the way the mind works, we hold on to things that agitate us or don't set well in our spirit. And sometimes the way we're viewing it oftentimes is very different the way, than the way our partner has given it to us or even intended. So we have to stay open to healthy relationship skills and not wait. That includes communication. That includes um, being able to understand our partner's respect, uh, how we like to be respected, how we need to be loved, are we being consistent? These are the kinds of things that um, start to erode the relationship, and that's what we're not doing enough of tuning in to check in. Even so, that it, at least I encourage couples like no less than once a year be like, hey, you know, especially around the anniversary or around the time that you've been together, are you happy? Is there something you need different? Is there anything I need to be aware of? We need to start having those conversations, even in good times, because that will help us to kind of solidify who we are as a couple. Gotcha. 14 away from the top. Let's go to Ron now on line two. Ron, good morning. Hit the wrong button, <laughs> but I know you're still there. Good morning, Ron. Good, mo good morning. Can you hear me? Sure. Yeah, yeah. My question is, um, she stated that earlier that um, – there's someone for everyone, but the ratios and the numbers don't um, add up with that because you have um, more, uh, two million more um, women than you have men. How can it be um, someone for everyone? Please explain that. Thanks, Ron. 
Good morning, Ron. Thank you for that question. And, uh, you know, it's interesting you ask that because that has been a little bit of what I've thought about as it relates to the work that we do. The response I say to that is everybody is not necessarily looking for love in the same season. That's the first thing. And while I encourage us to be definitely with each other, we may have to expand where we find each other. So if, let's say in theory, everybody, every woman and every Black man and every Black woman were looking for love of the population that is single and available and wants the same gender, you know, the whole, all of the things we have to consider. If we don't have enough people in this country, in theory, we, our mate might be somewhere else. And not even in theory. The reality is, if it's about more than just where our partner is, if it's just about the numbers, then our partner may have to be somewhere else. But the 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 question is not really um, realistic because a lot of us are not looking for love at the exact same time. And so that's why I, I tend to think that our partner will be outside of the country if it was just right now, everybody was like, I'm looking for love. Let me find my available partner. But ideally, that's not what's happening. All right. That begs the question, Renee. Uh, thanks, Ron, for, for going down this road. What about sharing? Because you know, I've got some brothers who believe in that the, because of the there's so many women, that it's their task is to make sure that everybody's happy. So they'd like to have three or four women. And as long as they say, as long as everybody knows their roles, it's cool. Your thoughts on that? So we're living in a time where there are more options. So a few things about that. One, we're living in a time where there are more um, depending on the city you're in, there are more women than men. And so we do need to consider different alternatives. However, the reason why I'm not a big fan of like the polyamory and different systems, because I'm, I'm not of the understanding or belief that we even know how to treat one partner, let alone try to treat equally three partners. So I have not seen that model successfully speak out, but I'm also feeling like if at the end of the day that works for you and love is what you're seeking and you found a way to connect with someone and you're okay with it as long as there's integrity, I'm not going to frown on you having love. I just have not, I have not endorsed that model because I, I, honest, I honestly feel like People have to be a little more open, particularly there are a lot of black men and women that the reason why they're not together with each other is because they can't recognize each other. They're too busy being at odds and complaining about each other and, and let, instead of understanding who we are. And so there's thousands and millions of black men and women that can't find each other because of the way we see each other. So I, I endorse starting there first before we jump to, well, let me just have one, three women to one man. Because I don't think we have the mindset nor the healthy relationship practices as a collective society to function that way. That's just been my right. sense. Now, in small cohorts, maybe. Like, you know what I mean? Like, smaller communities, maybe that's what people are doing. And again, if, that, if, if you do it with integrity and 
you are happy, I'm not going to be like, don't find love out of just my theory. But I think that we first need to learn how to honor and respect each other as black men and women, and we will find each other more. Because I know a lot of single black men that are good brothers, and I know a lot of single black women that are good sisters. And we just have to find each other. And we have to learn how to treat, respect, and understand each other better. And it would be a different number situation. So I think Braun's question is excellent. Um, but we got stages to do before we can even exhaust the numbers in this country and then be like, hey, nobody, you know, there's still so many women left. We're not even a fraction of the women that could be coupled with the men that are available. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, nine away from the top. I'm going to ask you this question because you mentioned you know so many single brothers and sisters that are out there, and they sort of prioritize themselves. They take care of themselves, and they're happy being. They have no problems being alone, especially even at this time of the year. How can they do that without feeling sort of guilty, sort of feeling uh, selfish? Because I think a lot of them have learned the value of self care and putting their peace as a number one priority. That's the thing I've learned. Like we at the Love Camp, we interviewed what would be considered, quote-unquote, a high-value man. And but down, the elf, down the earth, brother, really um, got a lot going on for himself. And one of the number one things he said is that he prioritized peace because it took him a while to get there. And that's the same with a lot of sisters. They're like, I'm not, they don't want to get in a relationship if they feel like it's going to be stress and anguish. They want something that will complement their life and add peace and value to their life. And that's the work that we have to begin to do so that when we approach someone and we want to be in it for the, the beautiful opportunity to be in their life, we need to bring something other than stress and drama and you know, yeah. disrespecting some of those things. Yeah, and the question that I'm going to ask you, because we got to take a short break, and we come back, I'll let you respond to that. But people have been in relationships, and they've been burned. You know you know what I'm talking about, and once or twice. So they're going to stay on the single side. They're going to say, I'm going to take care of me. Uh, what do you say to those folks who have given up on finding that significant other person? I'll let you respond to that when we get back from checking the traffic and weather in our different cities and the news in Baltimore. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Renee, reach out to us at 800-450-7876, phone call in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB in the DMV run FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning again, family. Thanks for rolling with us this morning. Our guest is a relationships expert, Renee Miller. Momentarily, we're going to speak with uh, James Boulard and Ed Goble. Their book 
as far as you can see, you can go. That's the title of their book. We're going to talk about his, uh, James's uh, journey as a gospel music executive. But let's ramble with Renee. Renee, my question to you is, you know, as a relationship expert, and you've got people who've been burnt, one, two, three. So in particular, at this time of year, they, they're going to stick aside and they're going to, they're going to stay home, and they are probably just giving up on finding a mate. What advice do you have for those, those folks? I encourage them not to let their past experiences, no matter how hard it is, uh, dictate your future. Um, that's one of the reasons why I started the Love Center, because I saw way too many single Black men and women um, not who were beautiful, vibrant, uh, not um, wanting love anymore or not prioritizing it, let's say that. And so I would encourage them to resist that, um, to find as someone that you can talk to, I would encourage them to reach out to me, but definitely not allow the gift that you are as a beautiful person to be limited to just you living by yourself without uh, loving your life, and no matter what your experience has been. Because we've all been, we've been burned, and the, the key is to learn from the experience, um, make sure you're taking time to assess your role in it, but not letting it dictate your future. Right. And when we started off discussing this time of the year, it's so stressful. So, so many people who are single, they don't know, you know, who to reach out to. They're, they, they're watching all these shows on television or these family shows, everybody getting together, uh, turn on the radio and the OJs are there with family union. And they're thinking, hmm, I ain't got anybody. Was, what, what can I do? So I got to ask you this. How does the Love Camp, your, your company, uh, support people during this time of the year? Well, we're getting ready to do a Soulful Serenity, a holiday self-care webinar. And it's an opportunity to really put healthy practices during this time. Make sure you're tuning in to your expectations and minimizing the hustle mentality. Uh, So that's something we're doing on December 2nd. Um, And if people are interested, they will go to the Love Camp community because we'll be sharing all the details in there. It's a private group. But also, I work directly with single Black women who I have, where I have a series of love programs. And I walk them through everything it takes to be able to start with self first, generating self-love, and moving all the way to how to attract healthy love. What does that look like? What are the skills? I walk them through that in my season of love program. And for the brothers that are out there that just want to talk to a woman and a man, we offer uh, love coaching me and my love and they can go to our love camp site and just request to speak to us. They can book a time, request to speak to us, and we can serve them with all of their specific needs. And they can reach us at thelovecamp.co thelovecamp.co my dot com dot co Alright, before we let you go, do you teach people how to flirt? Sometimes I do. My one-on-one clients, I actually taught her how to flirt. We talk about colors and body movement and how you use your words and your tone of voice. Absolutely. And she's doing really well with it, might I add. <laughs> so, yes, it's right. to flirt. I'm, I'm glad you do that. So all those brothers out there want to sharpen up their skills, uh, get their yes. game on, you know, <laughs> they need to call you. So, Renee, how do they reach you? <laughs> So they can reach me directly at, they can say, um, email me, Renee, at thelovecamp.co. They can also call me directly. I've had some of your folks call me at 240-415-8559. And they can also join us in the Facebook group because we do have 
a self-care webinar coming up, and that's going to be December 2nd at 1 p.m. All right. And as I always tell our listeners, don't be bashful when you hear uh, people like Renee coming on to help folks, you know, take advantage of our expertise. Give us that phone number one more time, Renee. 240-415-8559. Thanks, Renee. Thank you for all you do, especially for folks at this time of the year. Thank you. And thanks for having me. And I'm wishing everyone a wonderful holiday season. All right, folks, that's Renee Miller. She's a relationship expert. As you know, for some folks at this time of year, it's very, very lonely, and it's very, very stressful. So that's where she's giving us some advice. So if you're in that, that category, just reach out to her. She'll help you out. Five minutes after the top of the hour, I'll say good morning to James Boulard and also Ed Goebel. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, sir. Good morning. All right. Uh, uh Ed and James, you wrote the book, As Far As You Can See, You Can Go. Tell us why. Yes. I, I guess, yes. Why, why do you guys do this book? Well, it was, um, God put that in my spirit as a child. He spoke to me and said, as far as you can see, you can go. Not with your natural eye, but as far as you can see. I didn't understand uh, when I received it at age 12, uh, it was many years later, and he spoke again in my spirit, and I'm now in the music business, uh, on a plane from the East Coast to the West Coast, and he said, as far as you can see, you can go. And I'm looking out the window at the beautiful sky above me, and I realized at that point what it meant, as far as you can see with your spiritual eye and believe you can go. All right. I got to ask you this question, though, James. How did you know it was God speaking to you? I didn't know it was God in the very beginning. I didn't know what it was. I just heard it, and it disappeared, and I didn't hear it anymore until 30 years later. But when I heard it the last time, I knew it was the divine spirit of God. You know, I've heard people say that. Do you hear an actual voice, or or, or is it? Uh, can you? T is it a bass voice? A, a contralto? You know, how? What kind of voice did you hear? You just uh, hear it uh, in your spirit. Okay. You, you, so you, you don't physically hear it. hear it then. Yeah, you hear it in your spirit, and okay. you know that uh, there's nobody talking to you, and so. You you hear this voice, and like I say, I didn't realize it at the age of 12 what it was. But 30 years later, I realized it was God speaking to me because he had already manifested himself through me by doing things that was really unbelievable. Ed, right. what made you get involved with this project? Because, you know, James has got an, an extraordinary uh, journey to tell us about how we got involved in gospel music. But, Ed, how, why did you see this project was something that you thought the world should should hear about? <clears throat> yeah, thank you. I I was uh, a colleague of Mr. Ballard at Word Records back in the 80s and 90s, and um, he was doing such amazing work in the gospel industry among quartets and uh, artists like Shirley Caesar and Reverend Al Green, um, that I was I was a big fan. He had a marketing strategy that was just uh, second to none. He had a way of going straight to the people that was um, 
you know, there was it, it was a simple yet profound marketing strategy, and it was always so effective. But we've remained friends since then. And when I started learning about some of these formative stories from his childhood and his early days in the music industry, his first uh, singing group, the Boss Singers, I was enthralled. And I realized there's no way he could have accomplished a fraction of this stuff had it not been for God opening the doors and then working through him to to pull these things off. Uh, his his footprint in the gospel music industry is really second to none. Uh, even though he was behind the scenes a lot of the time, uh, he was he was a, a real driver in the formative years of gospel music. Uh, and his is what I would call a, a an, an important American history story, really a cultural story that people need to know about. So I wanted to be part of the book. All right. Well, we're going to talk about the book uh, right here at 10 after the top of the hour. James, how, let's go straight to it. How did you get involved in, in gospel music? Actually, um, Reverend Harville, a minister from Cleveland, born in Alabama, but his ministry was based in Cleveland, would come to Cleveland every year, and he would teach the local choirs uh, different songs and give voice lessons to those who were in leadership position leading songs. And I was sitting in the back of the church uh, one particular night waiting for the rehearsal to be over so I could walk my sister back home. And he he saw me in the rear of the church, and he called me to the front. He said, um, come up here. And I went forward. He said, can you sing? I said, no, sir. He said, well, get in the choir. Let me be the judge of that. And from that, uh, it was how God was working uh, with, with favor because he saw something in me, apparently, that I didn't know that I had. And after rehearsal on all this for the week, he asked me, he instructed me to ask my mother if I could return with him to Cleveland to his ministry base. And I asked, and she said yes, which was unbelievable. But that's how it started. And he started teaching uh, voice lessons, uh, teaching me music, uh, how to play the piano and all this. And I did that, you know, and I, I just was never really attracted to the instrument. And I just wanted to be a vocalist. So we organized a, a vocal group and started singing. And it just kept growing from that. You know, the the more I did, the more God would make it available, opportunities would just come. And so when at what point did you start working with, with the other artists? Actually, 1970. Do you recall the first artist that you worked with? Uh, yes. The first artist that I worked with outside of my group, the Boss Singers, were the Sensational Saints. It was a local quartet in Cleveland. But this was after we had entered this contest and won this contest for this overseas tour, which never took place. But because of the... I guess what the people that way out, Lester Johnson and Bill Branch, saw in me, they asked me to come start a gospel department for that label. 
And I said, you know, I don't know anything about making records. And they said, anybody who would put a gospel group in the midst of urban artists and win, you know something, you would be the person that, that we want. And it just started going from, from that. Every time an opportunity would come, God would manifest himself, and it would be positive in terms of the steps that he would take me. All right. We want to hear some of those steps of James and Ed, but we've got to take a short break here. We've got to check the traffic and weather in our different cities. Folks, you want to join this conversation with James and Ed. They're discussing their book, As Far As You Can See, you can go. It's about James's uh, story, his, his his travels, is starting out in gospel music and, and becoming one of the great movers and shakers behind the scenes of gospel music. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. I guess uh, James Boulard and Ed Goble, the writers of the book, As Far As You Can See, You Can Go. That's the title of the book. And it's basically a journey of, of uh, uh, James's work in gospel music, a veteran of gospel music. Before I take a call for you, though, Ed, who are some of the other folks that uh, James has worked with that you know of? Well, uh, it goes way back to the boss singers being on stage with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Mahalia Jackson and... Uh, and um, goes through uh, uh, being at the White House for a special gospel day with uh, President Jimmy Carter. And uh, really, uh, the list goes on and on from there that James could mention that would uh, take a few days to go through. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it would. Yeah. Well, just just give us a few of the, the, some of the people listening to us right now will probably know. Um, the Reverend Al Green and Reverend Shirley Caesar, of course, uh, Lee Williams and the Spiritual QCs, the Apostle J.L. Cash, um, the Mighty Clouds of Joy, uh, Leon Patillo, uh, boy, uh, Philip Bailey, about every gospel quartet I can imagine. Yeah, well, but you uh, know, Reverend James, let me ask you. Let me ask you this, James, because the music has changed now. Now we've got the likes of Kirk Franklin doing music. His his uh, and his songs are being, you know played. Sometimes one of them, I can't think of which one it was, played in the clubs. <laughs> the people were getting down in the clubs, James. And they didn't know it was a gospel song. Was it Stomp, Kevin? Yeah, Stomp. Yeah, well, they were playing that in the, in the nightclubs. Your thoughts on uh, and and I, I'll ask you this question too. Let me just throw this in there because I asked. Uh, uh, Pop Staples about this kind of music, and he says that's not music. He's just talking. That's that's not music. But your thoughts on that kind of gospel music, the the new uh, genre of gospel music? Well, you know, um, it's the terminology that people use. Um, gospel music is the good news of Jesus Christ. Gospel music is designed to draw people to Christ, to save people, to help people. Uh, the positive things. It, uh, singing gospel in the nightclub is not new. That goes back to the 60s and, and the 70s, uh, even into the 80s. Uh, gospel music was performed in nightclub. I performed in a nightclub in 1960. 71, 72, in Cleveland, Leo's Casino. 
So none, none of that's new. It, the, the thing about gospel music, you can perform gospel music anywhere. The point is, it's the salvation in trying to lead people to Christ through the music. Well, well, it, well that's no a question. Do you, which, yeah. Do, do, do you think today, you think, uh, James, do you think today's artists feel about the music like how you feel about gospel music? Do you think they have feeling that they, they, you know, their destiny is to lead people to Christ or they also just for entertainment? Well, you know, Paul, I really can't say what their motives are, but all I can say is this, only what you do for Christ will last. And if your, if, if your motive is to draw people to Christ, then it will show in, in, in the material that you do and will show in your walk and everything about you. But if it's just entertainment, uh, there's probably nothing wrong with entertainment if that's your forte. But when you talk about your ministry, your Christ-given ministry, and you're trying to lead people to Christ through singing the inspirational song that's got the message about salvation, that's a whole different thing. And so, you know, it's, it's up to the individual artist and the, the market that they can attract. You know, that, that I can't say that what is being done today is not gospel because I'm not Christ. But I can say only what you do for Christ will last. And when you're singing gospel music and the message of Jesus Christ, it will touch people no matter where they are in their life. People get up off the sick bed and turn their lives over to Christ. That's what music, gospel music will do. All right. I, I want to hear more about what your, your journey at 25 out at the top. The other folks are discussing the book. As far as you can see, you can go. Uh, written by James Boulard and Ed Goble. Have been with us this morning, and it, basically, it's about uh, James's journey starting with gospel music. James, did you ever see the time? I think when you started, that now gospel they got Grammy gospel, we got gospel stations, gospel networks. Did you ever th- think that gospel would explode like it has? Oh, yes. I worked on the Grammy Screening Committee for 15 years. Uh, so I've seen it from the inside to the outside. Yes, uh, it, it, it's exploded. But see, there's a certain thing is, is, is you can take it too far in the name of. But if, if you're true to what you believe is gospel music and, and you're true to what you're trying to do is to win souls for Christ. If you're true in that, you can go into anywhere, do any kind of performance, as long as you are lifting up the name of Christ, and that's your motive. And I got to ask you this question at 26 out of the top of the hour. Snoop Dogg did a gospel album. Kanye West did a gospel album. I know you said you can't question their motives, but your thoughts about people crossing over, dipping into gospel, because obviously they just want the gospel uh, crowd to follow them, but they're not really gospel artists. Is that an issue for you? Uh, (laughs) My evaluation of crossing over in gospel music, if you don't take the cross, you have not crossed over. You're being exposed and accepted uh, on a larger stage, stage, if you look at look at it from that standpoint, but it, it's if you represent Christ and you are crossing over, uh, 
your works will show, even when you get into the club or wherever you go, your works will come forth as Christ-like. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So, 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 James, at 27 at the top there, what would you say, for like uh, a Sam Cooke or Lou Rawls, some of those artists, and many of the artists, Aretha, they all started in, in gospel music and then they went to secular music. Uh, what do you say to those artists? It, it, do and I know you can't get into their, their, their heads at the time, what they did, but were you surprised that they they, they crossed, when we're talking about crossing over, they crossed over into the R&B genre? Uh, no, no, I'm not surprised. Uh, it, they were on a bigger stage. Not, not many of those artists sang message music, inspirational music, even though it was referred to as R&B and and pop and stuff like that. But there was a message involved in the music to help a people that was downtrodden and, and going through all kind of, you know, difficult situations in their life. The, the, the music was to as an inspiration to people. It had a gotcha. message. Uh, we're going to get into that momentarily. But let me ask uh, Ed a question, though, because Ed helped you writing, in writing this book. Ed, your research in doing this, because a lot of this stuff, <laughs> some of these folks that James is talking about, they're, they're not around anymore. Did you have any problems doing the research for this book? Well, we uh, we received some interviews, and, and a lot was from James's uh, personal notes that he did. And uh, God has just given him the ability to recall, and and he's got a uh, just as sharp as memory as anybody I know. But also, he had. He has an incredible network of people that uh, that uh, he was able to contact, and uh, so a lot of the quotes and things like that are from interviews and and uh, this research that was done and and uh, James's own network. So it was actually pretty straightforward to put together for me. Okay, uh, and James, when when you when you started out, you started mostly with quartets. Was that and and on the R and B side too? There were a lot of quartet singers, and then people went went solos, uh, you know. But how how did that transformation take place? It seems like it was uh, the we had all these groups back then doing R and B and doing gospel. Was it was it that that flip over from moving towards the quartets into the single artists? How how did that come about? Well, in the early days of quartet, uh, quartets became famous. Uh, the first syndicated radio show was done by a group called the Utica Gospel Singers out of, out of Utica, Mississippi, on the NBC network out of New York City, 1927. Uh, the divorces that those men and women had were just unbelievable, 
and it didn't take music to bring out the beauty of the voices, and it was a tremendous attraction to people. And when Sam Cooke left the Soul Stars and he, he went uh, solo, uh, he did quite well. But when you trace his music, his music still carried a strong message that people could relate to. The, the same as Al Green. Al Green sang with the, with the Green Brothers, uh, you know. And when he started doing his pop music, uh, his style didn't change. It's just that he was able to reach a broader marketplace because of the companies that were uh, doing the recording and, and the kind of network that they had up had set up to do the marketing and promotion. Yeah. And, and, and I got to ask you this at 29 away from the top there. Is, is, what are your thoughts? Because most of the gospel music comes out of the South. You know, we never hear when the, I know that we've got some good gospel singers in, in Chicago and Detroit and other areas in, in New York as well. But a lot of the great gospel artists were working in the South. Is there, is there a reason for that? Did you ever think or question why that happened? Well, now this is just my opinion. Um, when you come out of oppression, uh, which is what a lot of people came out of in the South and went uh, to the North and to the East and to the West, um, they carried that same vocal ability with them. And it's so easy to sing when you sing from the oppressive standpoint, like like blues singers, or blues singers, gospel singers, R&B singers, they all come from the same home, the same, you know, in, in, in a black home, you'll find every genre of music that there is or ever made, uh, going back to Louis Armstrong and others, in the black home especially in the South. And a lot of time when people move away from the South, they try to change the lifestyle, but it's, it's like the old saying, the leopard can't change the spots. And we're happy they don't, because there's a lot of great artists coming out of the South. A lot of good gospel music's out there as well. Uh, we talked about oh, today's no gospel question music. about it. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, James and Ed, we got to take a short break here. We've got to check the uh, news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. We'll come back, got some more questions for you. Folks, you want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We're discussing the book, As Far As You Can See, You Can Go. That's the title of the book, and that's what we're talking about today. This is uh, uh, James's journey through gospel music. is one of the behind-the-scenes veterans of making the gospel music what it is today. We'll be back in four minutes, though, with your phone calls and your questions right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with James Boulard and Ed Goble discussing their book, As Far As You Can See, 
you can go. It's the title of his book, and it says, actually, the journey of James is through gospel music. Before we go back to them, though, let me just remind you, coming up later this week, or coming up later today, we're going to speak with Jeff Menzies, he's the doctor of clinical psychology. Dr. Jeff says the media stories, is, he wants to discuss the, all these media stories. He says it's driving a wedge between black men and black women. And later this week, a multi-talented researcher, Brother Keedy, is going to join us, also Pan-Africanist Dr. David Horn, banking and financial expert Donnell Parker, futuristic researcher, Brother Sadiqa Bakari, uh, also homeless advocate, uh, Minister Christina Flowers is going to be here. They're all going to join us before the week's out, so make sure if you're in Baltimore, your radio is locked in tight right here in on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, James and Ed, Jay's calling us from Detroit, has a question for you or a comment. He's on line one. Good morning, Jay. Yes, good morning. Good morning to your guests. Uh, very interesting topic. I love gospel music and also my favorite type of gospel music is the quartets and when you were talking about so much of that music coming from the south you know basically uh, the roots of it actually go back to the motherland with those retentions started out with the field hollers when people were working in the fields to translate it to the the orchestral singing in in the cotton fields and things of that nature. And there's also an intermingling of when you hear R and B you definitely hear uh gospel music because of the the roots of the music and the origins. When you talk about Louis Armstrong, he's talking about New Orleans and uh the Congo Square, you know, those type of things. So it's definitely historical. But I wanted to just when you mention about Detroit having great gospel singers. So many of those great gospel singers actually came through Detroit. You know, Sam Cooke used to visit, uh, of course, he was uh, Reverend Franklin's church, Aretha's dad's church, C.L. Franklin. He would be there a lot. James Cleveland at one time was even the, the minister of music there. So, so many great artists, I couldn't even go in even talking about that, you know, throughout uh, the country, and it's been internationally acclaimed. So I want to just ask it, the, the, Go ahead. Go ahead. Ask your question, Jay, because I was going to okay, ask you no, a question. I, I didn't, okay. Yeah, I was going to ask the, the guest, what does he feel about contemporary gospel as opposed to traditional gospel? Because uh, historically, Thomas Dorsey got a lot of uh, pushback when he implemented and W.C. Handy implemented some of the, the blues elements into gospel, and it was controversial even way back then. You know, my 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 two favorite quartet groups, uh, the Dixie Hummingbirds and the Soul Stirrers, even before Sam Cooke with R.H. Harris, to me one of the greatest singers that ever lived. So I just wanted to ask the guest about how do you feel about contemporary gospel as opposed to traditional gospel? Well, I, I look at uh, traditional uh, the same as you walking. You walk the same is traditional. Uh, singing gospel music is called tradition. Uh, one one is referred to as tradition. It has a negative sound that goes with it, and that's nothing more than the lack of the knowledge of the impact of gospel music. Uh, from a worldwide standpoint, gospel music is the same today as it was 
back in Sam Cooke day, Dr. Dorsey, which I work with those people, uh, all, all of the people that were doing gospel music back then, it's just as time evolves, so does things change. It's like a, a, a car. They change the model of cars to attract a, a, a wider market, a younger market, if you will. And that's what has happened with, with gospel music. The only problem is is that when it's referred to as tradition, it carries a negative kind of overtone to it. And tradition, to me, in my opinion, is nothing more than walking the same every day. <laughs> Very and, and Jay, I, I, yeah, Jay, I got a question for you, because you mentioned that when our ancestors were working in the field and they were shouting at, at, to each other, is that how we got the call and response that we see a lot in gospel music, that technique? No, du- no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Exactly. That's where that emanates from. Going back to, I mean, some of your historians could go into more depth into that, but for sure. That's exactly. And our method of communication, as your guest earlier said, gospel music is about the message of Jesus Christ. So that can that continues, you know, through the millennium. That uh, the music is the OJ's at an album, message in our music. You know, that's that's, right. that's, that's basically that's right. what it's all about, for sure. So, you know, and when he talked about a lot of those. Group, you know, artists and groups, uh, Lou Ross, Sam Cooke, Al Green, you know, Bobby Womack, and the, went from the Womack Brothers to the Valentinos, and he went solo. So many, you know, so right. many of them. So, yeah, it's And this just came to me, uh, fellas, this, this just came to me when, when you mentioned those artists and the crossover. And when you listen to the music today, some of the rappers that we see today, do you think that's the problem with, with the, their presentation today? Because they weren't grounded in gospel music, the, you know, the, the profanity and all the sexuality that they're, they're trying to put on stage. Do you think that's because they're lacking that grounding, like, like the artists that we've been discussing? As far as I'm concerned, oh, that's 100% right on the money. It, it lacks that spirituality. They're not, they're not coming from a point of where the creator is sending a message through them, through their song and through their music. You know, as a, a kind of a musician myself, a lot of music that I've created and a lot of music I've seen has came from the creator, you know, either through dreams or sometimes I can be in the middle of the night sleeping and some song will come up to me. And I bet you you can talk to probably 90% of the people from my generation when they talk about where they got the music. A lot of them would be up in the middle of the night where the creators put something in them to relate to a message to the people. So that's my take on it, for sure. All right. Thanks, James. How about you, James? How about you, James? I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, telecommunication started back as they called it field hollering, way back in the slavery days. Telecommunication is how it started. It's, it's tell one person from one plantation to another about a meeting that was going to take place. And as as the music evolved, as generations, uh, it changed like everything else. Generations brings about change. The the only problem is is that when when you're talking about that you are serving Christ with your music, but your heart 
is saying one thing and your lips are saying something else. You're speaking from your lips because your hearts are far from it. Only what you do for Christ is going to last. And when you talk about sending messages, the message that, that you send has to be a positive message. And a positive message I will draw people to Christ. Like the early days, the Clark sisters with Madame Moss Clark, uh, I had the Clark sisters, uh, and several other groups, you know, the Denise Williams and, and Jennifer Holliday, all, all of these people, they had a message. You know, and been, the, the question, Oh Happy Day, uh, when, when, that was played on R&B radio. I remember when we were playing it in New York and Frankie Crock was playing it. Hey, Frankie's playing a gospel song. And everybody yes. it's a gospel song? But it didn't feel like a gospel a song. Yeah. It had a message in it. Oh Happy Day, I worked with, with Evan Hawkins for a lot of years. Um, it was the message. In the song, I remember back in the 70s and 80s, uh, urban radio would play a gospel song, a particular song with a message to the people at high noon. It did was doing it through D.C., Baltimore, New York, Chicago, Detroit, you know, all the part of the South and all this. They were all doing that because we provided them with the, with a song uh, with the inspiration, and they played it as a point of inspiration to their audience at high noon. Wow. A friend of mine who works at Hot 105 in Miami, they still do that as we speak. At noon, they play a gospel song, and they have a, 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 they have a prayer. And believe it or not, it's all sponsored. So the, the stations really care because it's getting paid. But it's all sponsored. They have one of the local wonderful. preachers. Yeah, and and they play a gospel song. But I, I want to ask you because somebody tweeted this about Marvin Sapp. Mar- Marvin Sapp's record never would have made it, and he said it's a multi-platinum selling artist who has enjoyed decorated music career, thirteen Grammy nominations, twenty-four Stellar Awards, two Soul Train Music Awards, two BET Awards, four Dove Awards, eight BMI Songwriters Award for sales. He says Black Music Honors Gospel Music Icon Award with many other accolades and honors from the national, regional, local institutions. Marvin Sapp's song, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it, never would have made it. You're thoughts about Marvin Sapp? Marvin Sapp, a great artist, a great person. Yes, his song is an incredible song. I never would have made it. That, there's no, no kidding about that. He came out of Detroit uh, with the group. Yeah. A good and, and, and song was, was found its way. Well, well, let me ask you this though, uh, James, because you 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 determine what's a good song. What do you use? Uh, what what sort of technique you use when you decide? Well, this is a great song. I'm going to go ride with this all the way. How do, when you get the records and you start working the records, how do, how do you figure out that? How do you understand that this is going to be a hit? If the song has a message, and you understand the market that you're going to, that you're taking this music to. It, it's like uh, Al Green's song, The Lord to Make a Way. The Lord to Make a Way was written by Dr. Thomas A. Dorsey. But Al took it to a broader market, even though Dr. Dorsey's song had been all over the church world. 
uh, and people sing it because it was just a great song. When Al Green got a hold to it, he did it, and with the promotions behind it, the kind of system that was behind Al Green from Word Records, it took it to the whole marketplace, black and white. A great song has no color. Is there white gospel music? Or is gospel, <laughs> when you say gospel, is that just means black uh, well, message music? Well, you know, Christian contemporary music is, is white music, but, you know, all music, Christian music, is the good news of Jesus Christ. And and you got white folks singing it, uh, black folks singing it, same song, uh, with the same message, the same meaning. It's just delivered in a different way. Uh, it's the marketing you're saying? Uh, the Christian market uh, was a huge market back in the 70s and 80s and may still be. I don't know. But it was a huge marketplace. Word Record was the largest company in Christian music. And when we put God brought gospel music to Word, it opened up both sides of the island, so to speak. You had the gospel side, the black side, and the white side. And you could expose that music to both sides. And white people realized that they liked a lot of the black music because the, the message that I carry. Uh, and James, hold on, I got a tweet question. I'll let you respond because we're coming up on a break where I'll check the traffic and weather in our different cities. But a tweet that says, what happened to the quartets? It says, not hearing like the quartets that you talked about, Regina, you started in the business, not hearing so much right now, even on the radio or in the recordings. They want to find out what, what you think happened to the quartets, the gospel quartets. Six minutes away from the top, as I mentioned, we've got to step aside and get caught up on the latest traffic and weather and the news in Baltimore. Back in four minutes, though, with James Bullard and Ed Goble discussing their book, As Far As You Can See, you can you can go right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL or information is power. And good morning again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with James Bullard and Ed Goble. They're writers of the book. As far as you can see, you can go. It's about uh, gospel music and, and James' journey through the gospel music. In a moment, we're going to speak with Dr. Clinical Psychology, uh, Jeff Menzies. But before, let's wrap up with James and Ed. Before we left for the traffic and weather update, James, a question that somebody tweeted for you and says, what happened to the gospel quartets? Why have they uh, vanished? What happened to the gospel quartet? That's a good question. Um, Lee Williams is the last, I guess, world-renowned gospel quartet. Uh, I don't think uh, there's anybody representing gospel quartet music. It's probably what happened to them uh, at this point. Is it a record company decision? Does the record company tell you what you know how to arrange, how to put out, how to put the group together? Is that how it works? How do you guys do it? Well, it depends on the genre of music that a record company is involved in. Um, on in the early days, most of the companies uh, that's all they had was quartets. You know, um, 
and then later years, as as time evolved and and, and music changed, and after the choirs had a major run in this whole country, then the smaller groups became very popular. Excuse me, like the Clock Sisters and Robert and Martin Singers, and caravans and, and groups like that. And the quartet was not as popular anymore as they were in the early days. But in the late 80s, in the late 90s, the 2000s and all this, our quartet took a major surge upwards with Lee Williams and the Spiritual QCs became a worldwide known group because of the spirit in which they sang and the, and the message in the songs that was healing people and bringing people to Christ, uh, changing people's life in prison, all kinds of things was happening. And this was the, re- the response that we got from the, from the public in reference to what the music was doing for them. It was the message in the music and the delivery of the performer. Right. And I want somebody to tweet that Lee Williams was the Iceman. It was kind of like a Jerry Butler it just stood on stage and just uh, and, and just did his thing just without any any emotion. But it was all in the music. So uh, thank you for the tweeter who sent that about Lee Williams. But James and Ed, yeah. we got to let you uh, uh, fellas go. Before we do that, though, Ed, how can we get copies of the book? Because this is a great historical <laughs> document here. It's not just a book about uh, James's role in, in the background of gospel music. So, Ed, how can we get copies? Yes, thank you for asking. Uh, we've got a website called uh, James-Bullard, B-U-L-L-A-R-D.com, James-Bullard.com. And on there, you can contact us. The readers can contact us or press contact. You can also order an autographed copy if you'd like, or an ebook or a, a paperback. Uh, those links go to Amazon. Uh, which you can order directly on Amazon as well, or uh, any bookseller will either be stocking or will be able to order this for you. But if you'd like an autograph book, james-bullard.com. All right. And James, I want to thank you for doing this, you know, for chronicling your experiences in this book, because if we don't write our history... McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Other people will. And what you've done, you provide us with a background, and we know it's real coming from you. So I just want to thank you for putting your story on paper. Thank you. You're quite welcome. All right. Thanks, James. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, James Bullard and Ed Goble. The book, again, is titled As Far As You Can See, You Can Go. That's the title of the book. Five after the top of the hour, Dr. Jeff Menzies. Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Dr. Jeff Aaron, 
on line hey, six. Carl. Yeah, how you doing, brother? Yeah, they're good. Oh, we're good. Uh, Dr. Jeff, we've seen a, split, a spate of media stories. Uh, seems to apparently be driving a wedge between black men and black women. How do you see this? Because it seems just like just every week there's a, there's a story, you know, about a black couple. Which probably started with, with Jada's book, but coming out, it's just like, you know, we're not good for each other. We should we should stay apart from each other. How do you see what's going on? Is it deliberate or is it just, just by organic? So, you know, Carl, I, I always try to maintain the context of racism and white supremacy, right? So that's how I'm looking at this. I look at it all through that lens. Fuller told me years ago, man, he said, if you see a white person coming that you didn't send for, always ask, what are they up to now? Right. And so and that's what I do. Every time I see one of these stories, I'm like, man, what are they up to now? And that's how I, I literally ask the question in that way. And it does doing it that way serves a couple of purposes for me. Right. It helps me to keep the to keep my, you know, keep my heart light, because, you know, understanding racism, and white supremacy can be a very heavy thing. You know, it can weigh on you and it can literally bring stress into your life. And as a mental health specialist, I try to know better and try to do better with that. But when I ask that question, when watching social media or these trends or all of these different all these all these different like uh news stories that come out all these accusations against people all of these uh conflicts that are being highly publicized between black men and black women or black men and other types of women or black women and other types of men i'm always asking i see it as a continuation of the system of racism and understanding the power of black male and black female relating in a positive healthy manner and how that directly impacts our entire community and our entire nation, actually, and the entire state of the black race, then it all makes sense to me. And so when I look at it from that way, from that level, and while I simultaneously understand that the majority of these people who these stories are coming out about are also paid actors, Carl, then I say, whoa, I get it now. I'm not saying that the stories aren't real. But I'm just saying that these are people that are already tapped into the ability to tell a story that is not real in a very convincing manner, and that they also have access to a lot of resources that help to make stories that are not real appear to be real. And so, you know, part of what I wanted us to be able to deal with when we're talking about these stories today is looking through the lens of, you know, what Mr. Fuller calls the four basic stages of racism. You know, when he talks about how they establish, maintain, uh, expand, and then refine the system. And to me, this is a part of the refinement stage, Carl, when they take how we're used to experiencing racism and they change it up to such a degree that you don't even recognize that this is still racism. And then he talks about those two basic methods of practicing racism. The number one is deception and the other two is through direct violence. And so what we have is a combination of deception and direct violence being pumped to us consistently, periodically. You know, there are these scales of a, these these scales of uh of conditioning, right? These different uh ways that it's given. So you got like uh you get it like consistently or you get it like partial reward where it's kind of spread out like casinos do to get you addicted. And so what it does is it keeps you on an emotional roller coaster. As soon as you begin to settle down from like say from uh uh what's my man's name that uh God, I'm blocking his name, Carl. What's the brother's name that uh played uh Lo he played in Loki, he who remains. He also played in uh the Creed movie. Uh Jonathan Majors. And so as soon as we're settling from Jonathan Major's uh, accusations, they just kind of mysteriously left the news story. Then another thing will pop up, you know, and then Jada shows up. And then some mysterious assistant shows up and tells you a story about Will Smith and Dwayne Martin. 
and then Icy Spice shows up. And then, you know, it's all these things that keeps us on this emotional roller coaster, which in, which in effect keeps us off balance, keeps us unfocused on the things that might really be more important in your life on a day-to-day basis, Carl. And so that's the context within which I see these stories. And, and it, you know, it's really good to have a practical example, a practical example of how to decode these stories, how to look at the stories, and not to get caught up in the social media sweeping of presenting these stories in rapid-fire succession to where you never get a chance to catch your breath and really ask questions and analyze them. All right, 10 after the top of the hour. Do we look at them individually or do we look at them collectively? So we got that united independent thing, Carl. So I would say both. You look at them independently and you see how they fit in the larger picture and fit in the collective, right? So that you can see how, like, um, how you can slide, how how this story, like, for example, Diddy, uh, Sean Puffy Combs, he, he just received some accusations of being sued for $30 million. And he settled on that suit in, in a matter of a couple of days. But that that story coming to the surface on the heels of uh, the the Will Smith um, story, you know, you, you get the two of those together and you got a bigger picture than just Sean Collins by itself, right? You get Kiki Palmer's story coming out. And, you know, she divorced when first she was on stage, and Usher, her boyfriend, made the public post about that. That kind of face of, like, they get back together momentarily, allegedly. All of this is alleged, and uh, except the things that you can prove, of course. Uh, and then all of a sudden she's... She, uh, leaking still photos from a video of him allegedly abusing her, right? And that so then you know so all these things that happen in this succession. So look at them individually because you could gain something different from each story, but within the larger context of all the stories, you could paint a broader picture and kind of see a pattern and see how deeply impactful this is on everyday people when it comes to us relating to each other as black men and black women. All right, the 11 after the top there. Yeah, one of the things they say, Dr. Jeff, that all these are connected to Illuminati. That this is what they're paying their, and I heard you laughing, at it, but they're paying, they're paying their, their, their penance for, for, for being part of that. Is there any truth yeah. to that, or, or is this just mere speculation? So, my, my good friend, he's now an ancestor, Dr. Laila Africa. You remember Dr. Africa, right? He, sure. Uh, a good friend of mine, man. Me and Laila, man, we used to stay up all night just cracking up laughing, man. That guy, he was he was as brilliant as he was, as funny as he was, man. I'm telling you, like, like tears, laughter. And and one of our conversations, man, he gave me this concept. He said that he said there's a such thing as a certified Negro under warranty, right? And he says, whenever you see the carpet getting snatched from under somebody's feet like that, that's their warranty expiring. And so he would always say, that's a certified Negro under warranty, and their warranty just expired. <laughs> and so I look at it that way. As far as Illuminati, I don't know anybody that's in the Illuminati. I don't know if the Illuminati is real. Uh, but what I do know is that there are higher, quote-unquote, higher levels of people with you know, higher levels of resources, and they do things a lot differently than a common person might do things. Uh, and so that might be a part of what's happening. But, you know, I'm going to stick with Mr. Fuller on this one where he says that we ought to be careful with the different words because words are designed to confuse, right? That's the main purpose of deceiving people is to confuse them, which is to render them incapable of functioning clearly because they don't really understand what's going on. And so we throw groups and names out there like that. He would, I would guess, you know, using the logic as I understand it, would say Illuminati is just another word for white supremacy. 
Check that. Hold that thought right there. We've got to take a short break of 14 after the top of the hour. We're going to check the traffic and weather in our different cities. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Dr. Jeff, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. And we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. Good morning again, family. It's 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, uh, Dr. Jeff Menzies, discussing the spate of stories, media stories, between uh, black men and black women. He says it's designed to drive a wedge between us. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. Dr. Jeff, you're going to have to excuse me because I'm repeat the question because it's got some distressing news I'm trying to confirm here. But I'll let you uh, uh, just answer the question if you remember what it was. Oh. Yeah, no. Before the break, though, we were just dealing with the, uh, you know, building the context within which to discuss these stories. And you know, you were talking about how the, um, the, uh, is it should we look at the singular stories, individual stories, or the collective? And my answer is always, you know, united, independent, like what Mr. Fuller talks about the and in both part, man. We got to look at these individual stories and see how they fit into the bigger picture and the bigger pattern. Um, you know, and of course, while we were on break, I, I flipped through the book of Wellsman, right? And and I found, of course, you know, I mean, Mama Wells, and she always rides with me, fam. And so I opened almost exactly to the page that I needed. Uh, it comes from her chapter, The Black Child Parents, on page 263. Uh, and she literally talks about this. Uh, she says, I'm going to start one paragraph above just to make sure we contextualize the part that I really want to focus on. Uh, but she says that in the Old Testament of the Bible, the prophet Isaiah says, where, people, where there is no vision, the people will perish. Vision means the ability to understand the present in its totality and to organize one's behavior in the present to meet successfully the challenge of circumstance, present and future. A people that does not understand and thus fails to teach each generation that potential mothers uh, and fathers must be able to carry out certain basic functions, in parentheses, going far beyond mere maternal provisions in relationships with their children is a people without a vision. A people amongst whom just anyone produces a child at any time without any serious thought or consideration, without any group uh, recognized standard for parenthood, is a people on the brink of disaster. Black people in the U.S. are at such a crisis point. Here's the point. Here's the paragraph I want to emphasize. Many black people's understanding of the roles of mother and father is limited to the view of mothers as females who simply give birth to children and fathers as males who simply impregnate women. The act of creating new life is taken so lightly that school children sing and joke about it, being provided such songs by their elders. Check this part out, Carl. Record companies make millions of dollars playing cheap songs about what fun it is to bring a child into the world when this should be the most highly respected exchange between a man and a woman. I'll pause right there, Carl. And oh, it, yeah. That's <laughs> it, it, deep. Yeah, man. Let me see real quick which year she wrote this one. <laughs> this had to be in yeah. the 70s. I, I, I would guess like 74. So I'm going to get to this page really quickly. Yeah, man. Right. And so this, this is Dr. Wells, and this is in the ISIS papers, if people want to read it for themselves. Dang, this is one of the chapters that she doesn't have the date on. But I'm pretty sure that it was in the, in the 70s, early 70s. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. 
yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. But well, how do we understand that this is driving a wedge? The, the, the people involved, whether they yeah. be Diddy or, or Kiki Palmer, uh, uh, yeah. uh, Will Smith, all of those folks are involved in these sorted uh, stories that are coming out. How do we understand that, you know, is it true? First of all, people are saying, is it true? And should right. we, should we uh, jump on somebody's support, support the male or female or, or in, in it, or just the, the, the fighting, the antagonism between both sides? Is that right. forcing us to, to pick somebody we should get behind doing all these, or should we just ignore them? How do you see right. it? Yeah, and that's part of the psychology behind it, Carl, is to make us feel like we have to pick a side and that we have to determine whether or not this is actually real or are they acting? Because the implication of the story is real. I mean, you've sat in a really good movie before. I mean, I'm pretty sure you, you had to fight tears back, as most of us did, in Black Panther 2 when they were paying homage to, uh, to Brother Chad with Bozeman, right? And the way that they did that. I mean, it was so beautifully displayed, man, and the way that they touched our heart because, you know, we had come to love Chadwick, you know, as a Howard alum, as a brother, as an actor, you know, as T'Challa. And so when they laid that down, you know, it was a tearjerker for many, many people. And it's other movies where people get emotional about it. You actually get scared in a scary movie. And so it has a real impact on our real lives, whether we know it's real or not. We can know it's fake and it still hurts. It still hits. It's still scary. Uh, we can know it's real and it feels exactly the same as if it was a totally fictitious story, you know, on some levels, depending on the relationship. And so I say all of those things, yes, you know, we should, you know, it's good to be able to discern whether it's real fact or fiction, but I'm more interested and concerned with the impact, you know, the fallout. Uh, I don't even think that all of the people involved are intentionally setting up or playing a script. I think that some of them may be actually experiencing real life conflicts. But the, 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 the target of their conflict is the everyday person that's consuming this media and how it's going to impact their life and their outlook. Let's, let's take, for example, <clears throat> let's go to that Cheesecake Factory story, right? You're familiar with that one, right, Carl, where, where that, that, that video came out and it was a, a woman who was going on a date, black woman going on a date with a guy who right. looked like he was uh, from India, East India, right? And she was proclaiming how she was too good for Cheesecake Factory, blah, blah, blah. And that's created a gigantic stir, right? I mean, people were like having like like war room, situation room debates about this stuff, man. Like, you know, she know her worth, and oh yeah, he got played, man. Forget women like that. You know, people chose sides. Carl, when I saw that video, I said, wait a minute, she looks familiar. Lo and behold, Carl, she had a fake name and everything for the videos, but I, I knew who this woman was. She's actually mm. a therapist. She's a mental health therapist, a licensed therapist who played, it was an entire skit. And I knew that early on. And so to verify, I sent her a message through IG. And I said, I said, said, hey, I said, uh, I saw this video. I said, is that you in the Cheesecake Factory video? And she wrote back, it was a skit. I said, okay, so it's you? And she said, it's me. I made up the character. It's a skit, blah, 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 blah. And what confused me is because she had a name different than what I know her as. And so this is a mental health specialist, a licensed counselor doing this. 
And one of the things, though, and I kind of laugh about it, is that it didn't work the way she thought it would because people were actually dragging her. They were commenting on her appearance, commenting on her weight, saying she didn't deserve to have that attitude, said she better take her butt to Cheesecake Factory because that's probably the best she could do. I mean, people turned on her. And if you know this, Carl, I don't know how deeply you followed it, but I analyzed this stuff. It went from that Cheesecake Factory skit to her doubling down as this character, posting a live, going back over, talking about how she felt about the date and responding to people's comments, still in character now, Carl. And then went on somebody else's podcast and pretended he pretended like he was interviewing the two of them as this couple who experienced this cheesecake factory situation. And so they doubled down on this thing. And again, this is a mental health special. This is a licensed therapist doing this, Carl. And so the mental impact and the toll that that took on people, right? It's, it's like, I'm like, wow, sis, why would you, that, to me, that seems highly irresponsible, right? To know what you, you know, to have that professional. And then see that you're having this deep of an impact. So one of the questions I asked her, and it was like a couple of hours exchange. It was only like four or five messages between us. I said, so do you plan to reveal that this is a skit? And she began to try to clown people as if people were so gullible and going for stuff. I said, yeah, some people are gullible. I said, but at the same time, some people are out here intentionally deceiving people. And I said, that ain't right. I didn't say that she was. I just said people do deceive other people. So we can't just blame a gullible population. But that situation alone drove a wedge and created many, many arguments between men and women to the point to where there were lists created. And again, I don't know who made these lists. It could have been a part of the whole system again designed to drive this wedge. But these lists came out of these are the top 20 women not to date. And it listed all kinds of women on this list. Then here's the top, you know, because it started off with the women. These are the top 20 places not to go on a first date. And so then it began to begin the ad hominem attack against the person itself. It was like, yep, don't date these type of men. Don't date these type of women. Don't take, date these type of men. Don't date these type of women. Don't go to these type of places. And so if you, if you really like the Cheesecake Factory, now you're, feeling the, now you're feeling shame about what you like to eat, Carl. And so just that story alone to me serves a really good example. Well, well let me jump in and ask you this, though. <laughs> Dr. Jeff, did you ask her why? Why did she do it? What was, what was behind it? <laughs> yeah. And so it was, she said, she claimed that it was to spark a conversation about men and women dating and men and women relating. That's it's as simple as to spark a conversation, not what kind of conversation, not, you know, when she, I, I, my assumption is that she noticed that, that my tone had taken a change and took a shift when I started talking about the deception part. And I felt I knew that the conversation was going to be ending abruptly soon, you know, and so I kind of fell back at that point, Carl. But the, the statement is it was just to spark a conversation. Uh, it did more than spark a conversation. There was spinoffs of it, of course, as you mentioned about the men as well. And, and people like I didn't know it was a skit. And I'm sure most yep. of the people who saw it on social media don't know up until now that it was a skit. They thought yep. this, this was for real. So did yep. did it achieve what she wanted to, though? I guess that's the other question for you. And so not really understanding and knowing, I think that, let me say this, Carl. I think it was all for attention. I really think it was all for attention. People are trying to go viral. People are trying to be known. People are trying to be the one that gets those clicks. And if that was her intention, then yes, it absolutely did achieve that. And unfortunately, not her, I'm not speaking about her now, Unfortunately, generally speaking, people don't care about the fallout and the damage or the cost of getting that attention need met. And so it was absolutely, if that's what it was about attention, 
it was absolutely fulfilled. Absolutely, Carl. No question about it. Yeah, but at uh, uh, 29 away from the top there, it, it leaves uh, an impression in our minds about what some sisters are about or, right. or on the other hand, what some brothers are about. How do that's we right. erase that? Because that's now if, if you run into a sister and she says, well, I can't make it to the cheesecake factory, but, I, you know, immediately you, you go, oh, she's one of them. You know what I'm saying? Yep. How do you erase that from, <laughs> from your brain? And so that's the thing. You don't erase it. It does not get erased. And so what happens is that she has helped to solidify uh, one on one end a stereotype, on the other end a real attitude that exists. Because what she one of the things she did say is that she created this character from women that she actually knows. And so this was a, she said she said I didn't just make this up. These are women that I actually know and have encountered. And she just compiled them and you know into one type of person. And so that that type of person does exist. But now, like you said, now brothers are looking like oh you wanted them. And what happened as a result of that is that brothers began to pull back even more, right? Because brothers pulled back after the whole Me Too movement and the hashtag uh, Believe All Women and Believe Her. Brothers were like, yeah, it's kind of risky because, you know, if y'all tell the truth, you know y'all be lying sometimes. So we can't believe everybody. You know, we got brothers who firsthand have been lied on. And so brothers are slowly pulling back from dating, from romantic interaction, from seeking marriage, from seeking long-term relationships, while simultaneously the so-called hookup culture is increasing. So now we're, we're, we're promoting in contradiction to what Dr. Wells has suggested in that chapter, that we're, now we're, we're promoting hooking up and, and having cheap sex, meaningless sex, which still ends in the production of children. And let's say that if dude in that video, let's say if they ended up going to Cheesecake, he persevered, took her to the more expensive restaurant, they end up having intercourse and producing a baby. And they started off rocky like that. Do you think they would stay together to raise that child in a healthy environment? Is likely not, man. And I think that's the end game because we know all the negative statistics that come with, you know, single parent households and more specifically single mother headed households and how many of the negative categories children from that particular situation feel. Well, thank you for sharing how that the impact of this particular skit, now that we know it's a skit, but how many people are going to find out that he was a skit? Because it, it really took off. It went viral, as you mentioned, on social media, for me to even see it. You know, several times people yeah. commenting on it, and people that I know are making comments and asking me to comment. I don't know, I'll just pass. But it, now we know it was all made up. So yeah. my question to you, and I'll let you respond, what do we do next? How do we counter that programming that we just uh, had to endure? Folks, we're going to yeah. take a step aside and get caught up on the latest tra news, traffic, and weather in our different cities at 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. You want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. You can speak to Dr. Jeff in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, for information is power. Good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with Doctor of Clinical Psychology Jeff Menchus discussing the recent spate of media stories. Uh, he says he's driving a wedge between black men and black women. Before we go back to him, I just got some notice coming to our newsroom. I was checking it out, make sure it's correct. But it seems like uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson has uh, made his transition. It, it happened last night. He was a regular on, on this particular program back in the, in the 90s because he was telling folks about the fact that uh, there is no hell and everybody's going to go to hell. 
Avenue. They call it the, the uh, inclusion, I guess the gospel of inclusion. You know, Bob Marley would say that uh, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Well, according to, to uh, Carlton Pearson, he was also a singer as well. He says, there's no, there's no heaven and there's no hell. We're all, and if there's a hell, everybody's going to go to heaven. So that's what he said. Anyway, he made his transition last night. He was 70 years old. So it, it, and he sort of ticked off the, uh, the, the regular Christian minister because they thought he was messing with their brand, so to speak, when he said that, uh, you know, you know, listen to these guys. Everybody's going to go to heaven. There's no hell. You know, but that was uh, uh, Carlton Pearson, a real colorful guy, though. But he, as I mentioned, he made his transition last night. He was 70 years old. Before we go back to uh, uh, the Dr. Jeff, just remind you, coming up later this week, we're going to hear from a homeless advocate. That, that would be Christina Flowers out of Baltimore, futuristic researcher, Brother Sadiq Bukhari, banking and financial expert, Donald Parker, Pan-Africanist, Dr. David Horn, and multi-talented researcher, Brother Keedy. They're all going to be here, so make sure your radio's locked in tight if you're in Baltimore around 1010 WOLB. If you're in DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Got a tweet question for you, uh, uh, Dr. Jeff. Let me just see, see if I can uh, find find this tweet here. The tweeter says, parents must stop putting their children in harm's way. The tweeter goes on to say, Aaliyah's name is associated with R. Kelly and now Diddy. And the tweeter says, I wonder if the parents know they were throwing her to the wolves or are they also innocent? Yeah. So allegedly, uh, parents in, the, you know, in these situations, uh, in many situations, actually, no, uh, you find records of where parents were actually the ones responsible for the meetups. Uh, at times parents were the ones, you know, are absolutely present or parents might've been friends, uh, with the person that are being, that's being accused of abuse and all of those other things, you know? And so in some cases, parents are culpable. Parents are knowing that their children, that they're pepping their children out, my words, uh, that parents are the, throwing their children into the den, the lion's den, uh, or connecting their children with people who have a particular lifestyle. And that's something that, you know, when we get to the Diddy story, you know, we're going to talk about a particular lifestyle that many people don't know about, but that, you know, that's very prominent and prevalent. And it does happen. And to, you know, the people who don't know about this other world, this stuff is totally shocking. But people who have had a glimpse into these worlds, they're like, oh, I mean, that's, that's part of course. That's just how they do. This is just the type of engagement that they have. But, you know, we'll break that down a little bit more a little bit later, man. But, yeah, the parents are absolutely well, culpable. Well, that goes back to the question we talked about, Illuminati, <laughs> you know, the, the, yeah. and, and it's prevalent all through, all through this. That, that there's, yeah. a, there's a thought that they have to take some oath or do something to be successful. This is a, the payoff. And they mentioned that somebody close to you has to die. And they'll look right. at people that close to whether it be Diddy or like Kanye, uh, uh, right. Jay-Z, all these are successful artists. And, you know, and, and you can point to someone in the, close to them in their family that has died. And they say, that's the sacrifice. So can right. you talk about that? Is that true or is it just coincidence? Well, see, so here again, Carl, you know, I don't want people to say, oh, he dancing around these questions because he's amazing. No, I ain't dancing around nothing. You know I shoot straight, man, every time. And, but I'm also, I also weigh my words as I was taught. I'm Mr. Fuller to weigh your words. That's actually an old ancient comedic tradition uh, and practice as well. You weigh your words. Uh, and so that's all I'm doing. I'm weighing my words for anybody saying I'm dancing around the question. Um, so if you think about this, Carl, most people who are alive have had somebody close to them die. That's fact, right? Everybody, probably. I would dare say everybody has. The difference is, is that that when somebody close to us dies, you know, us quote unquote regular people, you know, it's not on the news. It's not made to be all of this, you know, it's not, it's not 
highlighted. It's not spotlighted, Carl. And so the difference is, well, like Michael Jordan's father died. It was mysterious as all get out. Yep, and that's the other thing. It's a mysterious circumstances. But then everyday people have people die under mysterious circumstances as well. Um, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, they say well, he was trying to buy this. There was even a joke that came out and said Diddy was trying to buy NBC. And that's why this came out about him. But, you know, I would say that I know those stories. I don't know of anybody who's ever been able to verify none of that stuff. I know Steve Coakley used to go into his file cabinet, which, you know, he called his file cabinet, which was that garbage can. He said one of his insiders would throw stuff away for him to get access to it. Uh, But I personally don't know anything about those things, man. And I know that focusing in that direction, it it takes away from our ability to gather the lesson from it and and to be able to utilize the insight and the information that we that we actually can verify and that which is the impact and the fallout from these types of things. So I'm not dismissing it, Carl. I just don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a fair answer because you can go back to you know, think about Bill Cosby and his son, and, and you know what he was doing. He was trying to buy NBC, and they said that they they they, yeah. ta- they uh, you know showed him a lesson or taught him a lesson to stand yeah. down. So so you you but like I don't know. So I'm I'm not going to say it happened or it's there. But is it a coincidence? So you, where you fall on it? Is it a coincidence or or just just don't know. And so in true compensatory fashion, Carl, <laughs> my definition <laughs> of coincidence, my, my definition of coincidence is not this typical one. Most of the time we say coincidence, we're saying what happenstance, right? These things just happen to happen in, 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 in proximity of each other, space and time. What I say coincidence is, is coinciding incidents, meaning that, yeah, they happen and they coincide with each other. And so I don't ask, is there a relationship? I ask, what is the relationship? Right. And so, I mean, I've talked to A-list celebrities, you know, I got, I got A-list celebrities I've worked with friends with, you know, and they, you know, I've heard out of some people's mouths themselves that they've got handlers, you know? And so I get it. Those things do exist. When you're talking about somebody who is as powerful as a lot of these celebrities are powerful in the sense than the ability to influence other people, Right. We got people who who drink gin and juice because that's what Snoop Dogg said to do back in the night. Right. We got people who we, who could tell your daughters how to dress and they will fight you as their parent to dress that way because a stranger told them to. That's power, Carl. And so people who are interested in establishing, maintaining, expanding and refining the system of racism, white supremacy is not going to let that type of power, that type of influence function on its own free will and accord. So again, Mr. Fuller says don't get caught up in all the different words. Illuminati, if it's a real thing, is likely white supremacy. It's likely the same thing. It's likely on the same mission, functioning in the same way, if it's a real thing. And the end game is? Maintaining global domination. And that would be by weakening the black family? If you look at the, the genetics that Dr. Wells would always talk about, and she talks about the genetic superiority, and if you just look, matter of fact, we ain't got to go into the genetics of it. Look at the reality of it. Gabby Douglas is a gymnast, right? Tiger Woods is a golfer. Michael Jordan is a basketball player. Mike Tyson is a, is a, is a fighter, you know, a warrior. Now, all of these people, you know, if you go back into their ancestry and their lineage, the people that did it before them were being suppressed and, and repressed and unable to, to fulfill their greatest and highest potential. But once we were able, once a certain level of oppression was released and we were able to more freely express ourselves, we automatically excel to the top. Some would say to our rightful place 
in the pecking order of human beingness, right? Which is, some would say, at the top as being the original humans on the planet. And so if the system does not make up itself, create itself as a, as a compensatory system for world domination, and if nature is allowed to just run its course, shout out J.A. Rogers, nature lead, then what happens is then nature would settle itself and black people would rise rise to their original place on this planet. And so it's necessary to maintain white supremacy. It has to be in place. Well, it's 10 away from the top of it. We've got brothers who are successful, you know, not just entertainers and athletes, but in different right. areas. Yeah. Uh, do do they feel like they have to pay some sort of price for their success? Or and now we're going to question every successful entertainer, athlete, that this must be something, someone behind them. They probably got handlers. Is is that how we're going to go look at this going forward? And that's, that's exactly the reason why I don't jump head first into that conversation about they've sold their souls, they're Illuminati, they were puppets, because people can be successful without that stuff. So what we end up doing is discrediting our ability to naturally be successful. Yes, it's their game, you know, but, you know, what, um, you know, what, in the good book, in the Bible, it talks about how no weapon formed against yourself shall prosper. And my understanding is that our African spiritual traditions have, the, have that formula. You know, we have that method by which no weapon can form against you can prosper. And I'm going to tell you straight up, Carl, you know, when you see me as that multi-million, multi-billionaire, I ain't sold nothing. You know, I ain't sold my soul. I ain't did none of that. Right. And, and it's just because I understand the way that we can work our processes to where we don't need to necessarily buy into theirs. But that's a part of the trick as well. Discredit any black person that you see being successful by saying that they must be in that cult. They must be out there doing this. They must be out there sacrificing. It ain't no way Kanye is just a musical genius, right? He had to have sacrificed his mother in order to get that success. So it's like that's just discrediting all of his natural gifts and talents. It's kind of like when we say that Benjamin Banneker, uh had a photo had a photographic memory, and that's how he was able to lay the survey or plans for Washington D.C. That totally discredits him having the knowledge to do it. It's saying he just basically stood over Lafont's shoulders and watched and memorized the plans and just recreated them as opposed to, no, he was a master surveyor, right? He knew this science, so he could do it too. In fact, he might've been the one teaching them. See, we gotta be careful, man. This is so tricky. Remember, Mr. Fuller said two basic ways of practicing, deception and direct violence. And what happens in the refinement phase is that you, let me read refinement really quick, Carl. It's on page 23 of the new code. He says, the term refinement of white supremacy means to improve the methods of maintaining white supremacy. This means that the white supremacists work to decrease the necessity for using direct violence and or the threat of direct violence against non-white people. They instead act to increase the use of deceit as the basic means of causing their victims to enjoy and or not resist their subjugation to white supremacy. This is refinement. That's what we're, we're in the midst of a, of a very powerful refinement phase of this system. Deception is at all time high. AI pictures are showing up on the scene. We can't discern whether or not this is a real picture of his AI. They could duplicate your voice now with AI. You don't know if it's the real person talking, if it's a real skit, if it's a skit or is it a real situation, right? All of these things speak to refinement, Carl. And so if we don't understand that part, anything else we think we understand, will what? Serve to confuse you. It's going to confuse us, Carl.
Yeah. All right. Hold that thought right there, uh, Dr. Jeff. We're going to take a short break. The traffic and weather in different cities. When we come back, uh, Tyrone in Baltimore has a question for you. Folks, you want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Way minutes for you. We'll take your phone calls right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Everyone again, family, minute after the top there with uh, Dr. Clinical Psychology Jeff Menzies and discussing some of the trends that we've seen in the media recently. It says it's driving a wedge between black men and black women. You mentioned the Cheesecake Factory Girl, Kiki Palmer, uh, Diddy. We just, uh, you know, uh, you just go through the list that you go how far back you want to go. But it's happening. It says it's it's causing a rift between black men and black women. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. Go to line one. Tyrone's calling us from Baltimore. Tyrone, you're on with Dr. Jeff. I have two questions, but, but first, I, I, I really want to say we need to be careful about the certified nigger on the warranty label. Marcus Garvey was um, reported by the FBI, and, and we had Dr. King, who got suicide letters from the FBI, and was, you know, probably fascinated by him. We had Fred Hampton. You know, people like that were actually, and then recently in Baltimore, we had a state attorney who has been investigated ever since she uh, prosecuted the court of it for the, for the great murder. And uh, she well, she was involved in a high-tech lynching that took her out for taking her own money early for retirement. So I think we need to be careful. But I understand what you're saying with the, um, the um, state of our on the war, some of my, um, With regard to, um, uh, what do you think about the remake of the, um, Color purple and people like uh, Oprah and Tyler Perry. I'm gonna take your answer off there, please. Thank you. All right, all right. Thanks, Tyrone. Dr. Jeff. Yeah, that was uh, it was real muffled on my end. I think I made out what I think about the color purple as a, uh, the remake of the color purple was his last was his question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have any thoughts about that. I mean, it's 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 a, it's a remake of a movie that some people say was. You know, very damaging, you know, to black men and women relationship. Uh, I do hear some people like uh, uh, like Brother T, Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, he talks about that a lot. And uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Curry, also also the man lot, man not. I do I do know they referenced that movie as one of the points of uh, disconnection between black men and black women, intentionally designed point of disconnection between the two. Uh, matter of fact, um, I think it wasn't Steven Spielberg. That, uh, that directed that movie or something <laughs> or produced it. It was, yeah, I know. I think he had his hand in the original version, uh, which when I found that out, that, that, that surprised the heck out of me. Like, I mean, it only surprised me because I had forgotten about the context within which we were in. So, you know, if Steven Spielberg had something to do with the color purple, the original one, that is, that is the epitome of Mr. Fuller's suggestion that when they come and you didn't send for them, when they, they show up and you didn't send for them, ask, what are they up to now? Right. And so I think that's that's my answer, man. It's like, yeah, <laughs> what are they up to now? All right. Three after the top there. Let's go to Malibu. Christian's online, too. Good morning, Christian. You're on with Dr. Jeff. Good morning, Dr. Jeff and uh, Carl Nelson. When we speak to people, we have to be speaking with clarity. You mentioned Gabby Douglas and Mike Tyson in the same paragraph. Never do that. That's disrespectful no, to Gabby. No, it ain't disrespectful. Gabby I, do it, I do it. Yeah. I do it because I chose to use Linux. You, you, you could have done Linux Lewis. You could have used George Fay. Uh, but I did. Uh, George but I chose Fager, my family, man. 
I told okay, Mike, yeah, like, but you know, he's a rapist. He's a rapist. Okay, you don't you don't denigrate her by putting him in a comparable manner. Okay, and what I'm saying is that we have to have standards when we get together. I saw that video with uh, Kiki Palmer. She was almost completely naked up there. Now she had just had a baby. Now you thought that gentleman, I don't, huh? Which video you talking about? Her at Usher. Yes, you saw her. Okay. Her back was I was all out. Now you a grown woman with a baby, and you're supposed to be in a relationship. That's not appropriate. So I don't know this guy. I can't tell you anything about him. But if I were to speak with him today, I would tell him he might think about moving on. She's not for him. Okay, what she was doing on that stage and what she was wearing to go to, to entice uh, Usher, and that's what it was. That's not the one for you. So what I'm saying is we have to have standards, and we don't tell the young people, somebody from 17 to 25, about appropriateness of dress. And we have to give these people standards. Just like when you go to school and you had to uh, say the Pledge of Allegiance every day, every week, WL should be giving standards on how to uh, conduct yourself. Go ahead, sir. Let me jump in here for a second, Christian. Who do you blame, Usher, or, or you blame Kiki Palmer? Who do you, who do no, you blame I mean, in that? Kiki Palmer, because she came to the show. I don't know if she was an invited guest or not, but she came to the show. If she was an invited guest, you got a child and you got a man at home who trusts you, okay? The second thing is, you know, maybe she wore the, the outfit without letting him know. Maybe he was against it, but she did it. But the point is that if you're in a relationship, these are your, your markers, okay? We got a problem here, and it might not be able to be resolved. See, another thing, too, you said something last week, Carl Nelson, you were talking about uh, Tim Scott, but Miss Ann on stage, okay? And I thought that was out of conduct. I don't know Tim Scott. I don't know the lady. But if they're in a relationship, one, does she make him happy? Two, does he have a choice to be happy? Three, did you talk about uh, Eddie Murphy with his friend or Viola? I, I can't think of the actress's name who has a, a, a white husband, or Kamala Harris. Now, I'm not saying my wife is black. We went to high school together. But what I'm saying is you have to find people that resonate with you. I would prefer you be with your own race, but there are people who treat you well out of race. Go ahead, both you guys. All right, I'm sorry you you, you find that offensive that we described uh, that I described uh, Tim Scott's woman as Miss Ann. Um, I, I apologize if you you found that offensive, but you're the only one who's complained about that so far. But uh, Dr. Jeff, I'll let you respond to Christian yeah. what he just said. Yeah, I mean, thanks, Christian. Yeah, so I mean, he he started off foul. I mean, and from my perspective, I mean, just coming in like telling me I don't need to, and that I'm disrespecting Gabby Douglas by saying Mike Tyson in the same, it was the same sentence, actually, not the same paragraph, brother. And no, I chose Mike Tyson because I chose Mike Tyson. He, he, he was convicted of those charges, but he maintains his innocence. And I, I allow room for people to be innocent, falsely accused. And, you know, so anyway, but my, my statement about Mike Tyson and his example was as an, exemplar, as an exemplar as far as the boxing field. Nobody can deny him as a top-notch boxer. Nobody can deny. I don't care what you think about his personal life and other things is going on. And so, no, I did not disrespect Gabby Douglas by using him as an example. You think I did, and maybe you feel that it was disrespectful, but I don't own none of that. That ain't mine to own, man. He got to keep that. I don't own that. So I, I reject that part of it. Uh, as far as um, – well, no, that, that's all I got to say about that, man. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Though. Isn't that what, what, he, what exactly – he just proved the point, what you were saying, that he forces us to take sides? Yeah. You know, exactly. if yeah. – yeah. 
that's exactly that's exactly what he did. And then if you let's go into the Kiki Palmer part of the conversation, because then he's now he's launching judgment at Kiki Palmer. So this guy, he obviously feels like you know he's the judge because even even when he got finished talking, he said, "Now y'all go ahead." Like so, he feels like he's controlling and in charge of some things, and he really isn't, especially nothing going on in this conversation. But when you look at how he painted Kiki Palmer and how she presented herself, uh, you know he's not even he didn't even seem to be aware of the full story that now. Uh, dude did he and I agree he should have moved on but that somehow they got back together on some level uh, and then now she has domestic violence charges against him now which is you know part of one of the stories I wanted us to talk about is that when you look at what was leaked into the into the uh, court of public opinions they were screenshots from a video that was supposedly uh, serving as evidence of him being physically abusive to her beating her up right and these are now, Carl, you know, you, you take a screenshot of a video, that's a millisecond being captured. And what happens is that then she wove a narrative about what was actually happening in the video that she took these pictures from. And again, people jumped on both sides, jumped on the bandwagon. You, if you dare to ask a question or point out what I just pointed out about those being snapshots in an entire video and how much action took place between point A and point B, you know, you would be called... Uh, uh, a rape apologist, you know, you hate black women, uh, you know, you're, you're part of the problem. I don't know why men always dusty and got to protect abusers. You know, all these things, all these accusations get launched at you, you know, for even just asking the, 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 the common sense question, like, well, wait a minute, why are these only screen captures of a video that were turned into court, right? And so, and so what they do is they make it so that you can't even have logic and ask questions openly anymore about these accusations. You're supposed to automatically believe the accusations. And again, remember what I said earlier, Carl? It just so happened that these people pretend for a living. Like their work is to pretend, is to convince you that what they're saying is reality. And within the context of all of this, I fell back. And I don't know if it's true or not. I know enough to know that I need to question, is it true or not? I know enough to understand that 70% of mutual partner violence is initiated by the woman. And so it's more likely than not, if they were actually fighting in these videos, statistically speaking, it's more likely that she started it. And now check this out. So since then, after everybody jumping on the bandwagon, believe women, all, all that stuff that goes on, it, evidence has come out to where she apologized for actually hitting him. So I apologize for hitting you. Her mother has audio coming out, which her mother's being aggressive towards this man. You know, launching all kinds of insults about his sexuality and his his his, the, the, his sexual prowess, all this stuff. You know, it's coming from her mother towards her uh, f- the father of her child. Let's go back and keep this center, Carl. We're talking about how this drives a wedge between black men and black women, and how the children that are produced in that context are 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 the, are the main victims. They have a baby together, a very young child, and some have even pointed this out to be a step by step process that's actually used to gain full custody of a child. You accuse your partner of domestic violence, and then you get a restraining order, and then that keeps that person from being able to see the child, which then establishes you as the primary custodian of that child. And so if you go to custody court or family court, then you're more likely to get custody. This is textbook, Carl, but we can't yeah. talk about it because people are so caught up in the emotion of it and so swayed right. you know, by the picture that's been painted. McDonald's is not new to chicken. 
So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And, and, and I think what you just said is very important. These are actors. This is just another role for many of them that are involved in all of this. Because uh, 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 if it's in a, a person who's not on the stage, who, who's part-time or does this for a living, it, it, won't make, it won't make the news. You know, we won't hear about it. So how much of this is, is again, I think you mentioned this in social media, how much of this is being done for likes? How much is this people are trying to stay, stay relevant, if you will? Yep. Say, well, you know, and I, I don't, I, you know, Kiki Palmer doesn't have the issue of relevancy or staying relevant. Uh, you know, she's, she, she, if anything, she's on the upswing in her career. I mean, she's doing, you know, she played in Nope. You know, she's got a, she's got, you know, she's not top celebrity, but, you know, she's doing her thing, man. Um, for me, I, I'm thinking the more, this is more being used to, to sway the everyday person's attitude and perspective about men and women relating to each other uh, and to further drive a wedge. Uh, one thing that I said, and I said it at the end of the show last time, Carl, that it'd be really nice to just have a show to where, you know, folks just call in and just tell the truth about, you know, deception, you know, and how 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 common deception is, and specifically how common it is uh, th- that women deceive men or are deceitful about men. I mean, I've had people, uh, I've had an accusation launched to me said that I painted a picture of women being sexually deviant and 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 W-H-O-R, and I'll let you spell the rest of it, you know, uh, just because we're on the radio. And, and I'm like, wow, I've never said such a thing. But they were lying about me to me. That's how dangerous it can get. I'm like, you, you realize that it's me that you're talking about, right? And that there were a room full of other people, and I never said anything in that way. And they just kept pushing right along, never, never tried to reiterate or nothing. They just kept pushing, dropped the accusation and kept it moving, Carl. And when I talked to brothers who were present, they said, the story that you were telling is my life. I experienced that. That is what I, that is what my son is experiencing right now. That's what these brothers were telling me. And so what happened though, is that she's got to fight me tooth and nail to maintain the code and to maintain the deception. And so all of this fits into that same pattern, into that same category. It's deception for the purpose of confusion. And once we're confused about what's real and what's not, then they don't have to worry about us because now we're disoriented from reality at this point, psychologically speaking. We have detached from reality. You know, we, we might as well be functioning schizophrenic or dissociative identity. It's all kind of different things that come out of that type of disorientation. All right, we come up a break and we come back. Nigel wants to speak to you, but I got to ask you, what is their end game? If if that's the case, we buy your premise that all of this is to keep us confused. What are they, what what's the end game? What are they really after? Fourteen after the top. As I mentioned, we got to step aside and get caught up on the traffic and weather together. We're back in four minutes though with your comments right here in Baltimore on ten ten WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM ninety five point nine and AM fourteen fifty WOL. Or information is power. 
Hey, good morning again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, Doctor of Clinical Psychology, Jeff Menzies, discussing uh, the recent uh, media stories as uh, it's driving a wedge between black men and black women. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. Nigel's joining us from Baltimore. He's on line one. Good morning, Nigel. You're on with Dr. Jeff. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Dr. Jeff. Hope you guys are doing okay. Great topic. I um, <laughs> as Dr. Jeff started talking about some of the personalities on YouTube, like Dr. T, for example. Um, I was reminded of uh, Cynthia G. I hope that Dr. Jeff uh, knows who that person is. But um, what's interesting, Carl, is that for many, many months, perhaps even uh, close to a year, this lady has been developing a huge following on social media. Uh, around the subject of aborting black babies. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what is interesting, Dr. Jeff, is that it actually took um, someone from the other community to start writing letters because uh, it, it looked as though um, she could say whatever she wanted with regard to the hatred of black men and certainly calling for the abortion of babies. You know, if women have relationships, you know, with black men and they manage to get pregnant, that the best thing they could do at that point is completely get rid of that baby because it was uh, essentially uh, created by a dusty, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term before. But anyway, Dr. Jeff and Carl, just wanted to add that. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, and it's, it's really, I'm glad, I'm glad he brought that up because, um, again, you talk about driver wedges because if I'm not mistaken, uh, they wasn't just black babies, but it was specifically about black boys, the male babies, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and if it wasn't her that focused on aborting black male babies, uh, it was somebody else who picked up the banner and took it that next step. Uh, but yeah, these are the types of things that are out there and that are being spawned by these quote unquote influencers, you know, and it's pushing these narratives. And unfortunately, many of us are susceptible to this influence. Because, uh, again, we don't understand the context within which this stuff is happening. Uh, we think that just because a person has a camera and a microphone and good lighting and they're consistently delivering these messages and they're getting a lot of they got a lot of, quote, unquote, followers. And we know that people can buy followers. You know, these could be all fake followers and to the tune of millions. But we think that that gives people authority. We assume that because a person talks well and is consistently on these podcasts and stuff, that what they're saying actually has some merit and some worth and some value beyond what it actually does. And it's a very dangerous and peculiar situation. Uh, you know, this, this era, you know, this is, this is, uh, this is propaganda, you know, and it, this is propaganda to the tune that Bernays could never have reached because he didn't have the technology, you know, uh, you know, this is, this is propaganda on the level of what, you know, the Nazi Germany, you know, Nazis in Germany had maintained and proliferated, you know, to help their agenda move forward. I mean, it's, this is phenomenal stuff, Carl. I mean, if you really pay attention, if you're really analyzing it, you know, if you're really uh, conscious to what's happening, man, this is very, this is phenomenal. Uh, for the folks who who, who have the appetite for that kind of stuff that's that's on the internet and they, they think it's real, they don't understand the difference, what do you have to say to them? Because as, as Nigel mentioned, she's got a lot of followers and you also added that the followers can be bought and they're all doing this for likes and they yeah. understand the responsibility, especially when it comes to our our, our people, the responsibility of uh, providing correct information. 
What do you yeah. say to folks who, because yeah, I wouldn't follow her. I wouldn't even read her stuff. <laughs> you know, basically right. I try to stay off the internet as much as possible because everything yeah. on the internet is suspect because even YouTube, all of that, because everybody's doing it for likes. They, they're trying to, it's, it's a money-making machine. Every time you click on it, you, you're, you're paying those people to, to continue your, 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 your hatred and continue the, the suffering that you're going through. You're paying them to do that to you. So that, for me, that, yeah. I, that's, that's just me. But I, I know a lot of people are on the internet and they go, they're sending me stuff from YouTube. They don't understand that it, all it is, it's, it's about to make money. How do we how do we get our folks to understand that and be more scrupulous when they're going on the Internet and reading these things? It's, it's wild, Carl, because, I mean, one thing is that it ain't even you don't have to read anymore. You just watch the videos now. You know, they're not and at most you're going to get captions because they got this AI that will now caption your videos for you and, snip, you know, get clips and cap, caption it. That's a lot of what's happening now. They're calling it reels. Uh, and that's even slick, right? They call it reels. Now, it's like it's a play on the word, like a movie reel, you know, like the film reel, R-E-E-L-S. But then it also plays on the word real, as in reality, R-E-A-L. This stuff is very, very slick, man. The layers behind it. I mean, we <laughs> we cannot fathom the machine that we're up against right now. And, you know, I say that to preface my response to you, your question. When I try to slowly introduce to people the fact that Cheesecake Factory was a skit, and then I actually, uh, I've, I've met the girl. I've been on her. She had a podcast. She and another therapist, and they interviewed me once. That's how I knew who she was. Um, and people was, no, it's not. That ain't no skit. You have no idea what you're talking about. I, said, I just told you I know the person. I talked to them directly. Hi, you got to prove that to me. I'm like, how am I going to prove it to you? I, what you mean? I said, well, that's okay. I said, it'll show itself. And there was this real resistance. It didn't matter who I was saying that. I knew the person. I had been interviewed by the person. They themselves told me it's a skit, and people would push back. I talked to some of the podcasters who had three, four-hour – not talked to. I sent messages to them who had three, four-hour shows about the Cheesecake Factory situation. I would comment on the thread, hey, this was a skit. How you know? This is how I know. Oh, no, no. They would not hear it. And so what do we do about this? Dr. Joy DeGruz said years ago, not everybody's going to make it. You know, she talked about post-traumatic slave syndrome. She says, not everybody is going to make it. And so you're going back to the Bible, you know, the parable of the sower, you know, shout out to Octavia Butler. It's like, you know, when you talk about how you're going to scatter your seeds, you know, you want to do it on fertile ground, which requires discernment. You know, right now we're broadcasting, right? We're casting this message broadly. And if there are people out there with fertile enough minds who can be sparked like, oh, wow, I never thought about that. And now they begin a new type of thinking. We've been successful to that degree. You know, uh, but other than that, I don't think that it's going to be much that we can do to wake up the masses, to get the masses recognizing what's happening around us on a daily basis. I think that we just got to keep doing what we're doing, talk to who we can talk to, people who are here who are interested, they'll take it the next step. But again, I believe strongly in that united, independent concept to where we're individuals who are responsible for our individual growth and development. And we are also responsible for supporting each other who are also headed in the same direction as a, as a unit. And, you know, it's just it's, it's a heck of a situation, Carl. But I think that we're Ill, we're still ill-equipped to take this bull by the horns at this point. 
Which, you know, what what it does, and we're going to see it's going to be in full effect next year when the when the election's on. All all this yeah. misinformation is going to be on the Internet, and, and people are going to have to choose whether, you know, it, probably the Internet is going to be, be destroyed because people get to know that there's a lot of disinformation, and it's, and it's going to be more rampant than ever. So when we hear and see these stories, you know, just people, I'm just telling people just to brace yourself because a lot of stuff that you read on the Internet, it just is not true. <laughs> but you you have to figure out how to discern what is not true and what it is. And and again, uh, the question I asked you before we we spoke uh, at the, before the break: What is the end game? What are they trying? What, yeah, what what are they trying to achieve by all of this? This confusion. You say this confusion. That's that's correct. But what are they trying to do? Yeah, it's it's world domination, man. It, it's it's just what it is. It's to control. It's, it's it, can you can you imagine having an entire planet? all of its resources, including its human resource, at your, at your will and command, this becomes one gigantic playground where you can do any and everything that you want to do. You can live out all your fantasies. There's nothing to stop you. You don't have to worry about how much things cost. Uh, and if you got that sadistic streak in you, you could you take pleasure out of people's suffering, you know, which is the part that I wanted to get to, you know, in reference to Michael Jackson, not Michael Jackson, but uh, Mike Tyson and uh, the Diddy situation. So how those two connect with each other. Uh, you know, you, you, it becomes that you don't you 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 basically live a carefree life. The, the life, the most important thing that you care about is maintaining your dominance. And if you have a system that's already been constructed and it has been in play for hundreds of years and constantly being refined so it can be maintained, you know, then you don't have much to worry about at that point. And I think that's a major part of it. And it spawned, according to Dr. Wellsen, from a fear or anxiety around genetic annihilation, recognizing that you were genetically inferior. And then it, it spawned this, this need, this anxiety, which compelled a behavior to construct a system to which they could be dominant over. And they get as many people as possible under this system so that now you can maintain control and that it alleviates your fears of being genetically annihilated because now you control the genetics on the whole planet. So your message for our, for our family, what do we do? Wake uh, wake up, Lawrence Fishburne at the end of uh, school days. Wake up. Every day, do something better than you did it the day before. Always ask, what are they up to now? I love that. That's a very simple question, but it, it, it inspires so much thinking and analysis. Don't be afraid to analyze things that you're seeing. Understand that a lot of this stuff is pay for play. These are actors, right? Not saying that, you know, that, Domestic violence and stuff like that does not, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying just remember who these stories are coming from, how the stories are coming out, and what impact they can have on you. Analyze the relationships that are right there in front of your face more than you do those on the popular culture. See how it's impacting you. You know, see how you're moving. You know, are, do you know that you want some trash? Do you know that you're a liar? Do you know that you're deceitful? You know, those types of things. Do a self-analysis. Aspire to become what Mr. Fuller calls universal man and universal woman. Right. Which is one that stands on the principle of truth. Right. Stated according to our ancient ancestors on the principles of my eye. Right. Tap into Hootie. To, to Hootie. That's that wisdom piece. Right. You know, we've, we've got all of our tools, Carl, but they've been scattered like the body of Osir. They've been we've been turned away from it by being told it's heathenistic and pagan. You know, we've been force fed somebody else's worldview and we've elevated that worldview to the superior status over all other things. We've got the correct course, and we've got to do whatever it takes to correct that course, you know. McDonald's is not new to chicken. 
So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Okay. Uh, 28 minutes away from the top. Yeah. So, Dr. Jeff, but you know most of our folks just don't like to read. Your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's real. And so, fortunately for us now, a lot of people are making videos. Uh, you know, and and it's not. I know some people don't like to read, but I think that it's more that uh, reading has become difficult for some people. It has been difficult. Uh, reading comprehension might not be up to par. Uh, and so, yeah, we say they don't like to read, but I think some people just have issues with it. And you know, we avoid things that bring discomfort. Uh, you know, and it's so fortunately for that we have audio books now where people can listen to the audio versions. Uh, we got like a lot of people that are doing lectures. You know, there are tons of Amos Wilson lectures on YouTube, uh, tons of Dr. Wilson lectures and conversations on YouTube, tons of Mr. Fuller. So you don't even have to read anymore. You know, still reading is fundamental. Dr. Wilson said, read, reading is more important. She said, repeat after me. Reading is more important than watching television. She would say it all the time. Uh, but again, now just tune in to something conscious. All right, turn off the noise, turn down the noise, at least if you ain't going to turn it off. And yeah, so watch lectures if you can't, if you don't have books. You know, have access to the literature. Find these people on YouTube, some of the elders, you know, the old school folks, Dr. Wells and Mr. Fuller, Amos Wilson, you know, and, and the likes of that is what I would suggest. All right. Hold that thought right there. We've got to take a quick break and check that you take our last look, actually, of the news, traffic, and weather in different cities. We'll be back there in four minutes or 26 away from the top of the hour. Got a tweet question from Brother Leroy down in Louisiana for you. Folks, you two can join this conversation with Dr. Jeff. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Information is power. Good morning again, family. Uh, uh, 19 minutes away from the top of that with our guest, Dr. Jeff, discussing uh, discussing the media stories, a bunch of media stories driving a wedge between black men and black women. What are your thoughts? Before we do that, got a tweet from Brother Leroy in Louisiana. But let me just remind you, coming up in the next few days, you're going to hear from a homeless advocate. Minister Christina Flowers will join us. Futuristic researcher Brother Sadiqa Bakar will be here, along with banking and financial expert Donald Parker, Pan-Africanist Dr. David Horn, also a multi-talented researcher. With Brother Keedy. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight right here on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, here's the tweet, uh, uh, Dr. Jeff. Tweet says, uh, what is his opinion on, on I think it's D1, D1 and Jim Jones' disagreement? And why is it this making national news when there is always the issue of the music in our community? What can we all learn from this? Yeah, he, says he really agrees Paul, with D one. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't. I don't know about that that conflict that he's speaking about. He said D one and Jim Jones. Yeah, uh, D one. I, I had to ask too. I thought I was. I know I'm at the demo. So he says D one is the rapper. So okay, I, I think I it's thought that, you would know because you're younger be than me. Okay, I think I, I think it's that young cat with the locks. He kind of yeah, it's that dude look like J Cole. Okay, I know what he's talking about. And I just looked him up real quick. Yeah, so this this young brother has been recently been given a spotlight to 
offer some type of crit- critique and insight. You know, he it's almost like his parents must have been, you know, uh, quote unquote conscious people the way he talks. Uh, but he's been launching some critiques and criticisms about hip hop as a whole. And he seems to be doing it in good faith, though. You know, he doesn't seem to be like, you know, just dragging people. But he's kind of like seems like he's trying to share light. But I'm I'm not. I'm not sure what that beef is between him and Jim Jones for me to even speak about it. Uh, but I do, I do appreciate the young brother's voice and the fact that he is offering a critique from his perspective and from where he stands, because as a young brother, as a hip hop artist, and one who has some serious flows too, I've heard him flow before. And it, it is a valuable voice to have, you know, because he's in the game, he's young and he's offering the criticism that some of the elders might also be offering. And it might be easier to hear him. All right, 17 away from the top. You know, back to these these uh, discussions, these the wedges that you're seeing, the, all these stories uh, uh, between black men and black women. There's, there's a sexual energy involved or, or, or if you could, inappropriate sexual behavior, if you will. Can you explain that, what's going on here? Why? Yeah. So, yeah, Carl. So when we talk about these sexual behaviors, man, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole lot in this world that people don't know about. And or, or they act like they don't know about like there's a whole culture, a sexual culture that deals with BDS and M, right? Uh, which stands for uh, well, it's a couple of ways that they break down the B to D to S and M, but basically people know sadomasochism. Uh, if you think about that movie Fifty Great, Fifty Shades of Grey, right? Uh, that's how most people began began to understand understand that this world does exist, that this type of sexual expression does exist. Uh, but what happens is like when you look at the uh, the accusations that that um, that they were recently launched at Diddy Sean Combs uh, when you hear those stories if you know about this world then it's like okay it sounds like you know that they live that particular lifestyle right it sounds like you know that you know for whatever reason she got involved in that world in that lifestyle and now in hindsight you know she might have changed her perspective. She might have changed her 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 views about that lifestyle. She might have changed the way that she feels about having participated in it. But her accusations, to me, sound like they were just in this in a sexually freed up culture, meaning that they were amongst people who had intercourse and sexual intimacy in ways that the quote unquote typical person does not. And and it aligns with that. So you're talking about so like if a person lives this particular lifestyle, Carl, let's say they're dealing with uh, sadomasochism. That means that there's a one person who plays the sadistic role or the sadist role who gets pleasure from inflicting pain and discomfort on another person. And the other end of it is the masochist, the one who receives pleasure and excitement from receiving pain and, 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 and conflict and, and, and sometimes disrespect and being diminished. And so, and it's usually they're consenting people in this process. And what happens is, so then the person who's on the masochistic side who gets the pleasure from it, can later on say, yes, he choked me out. She choked me out, choked me unconscious. And they could say that, and they could be telling the absolute truth, Carl, but what they're leaving out is that this was the way that we did things. Yes, they hit me, they struck me, they punched me, they smacked me. And in the context of that sexual dynamic, all of those things are agreed upon and appropriate to that context, to what they chose to do. But later down the road, a person can say, yes, he smacked me, she smacked me in my face, and my lip was busted. Yes, uh, I have bruises all over my body. Here are the pictures. And they could be telling the absolute truth, but they've decontextualized the truth, and they left out the part to where, no, this was our agreed-upon sexual dynamic. We're a part of this particular culture and a part of this community. But if people don't know that, 
that that does exist and that it's a very real thing and very common, Carl. I mean, you'd be surprised at the people you know that participate in these types of activities. But, you know, without that context, it's like, oh, my God, how could he do this to that girl? You know, and me, because I know that that world exists, I've worked with clients, I've counseled people, you know, that are in those dynamics, worked with couples and that work like that. Carl, <laughs> I'm hearing these stories. I'm like, yeah, it sounds like they were in these dynamics. I'm not dismissing her. I'm just understanding the larger context. Like, yeah, I need to hear more about it before what? I jump on one side or the other. All right. So basically, there's a lot of freakiness going around, but it's not just uh, it's not it's just not allocated to to entertain as an athlete. Then is that what you tell no, us? No, no, man, no. It's not just them. It's not just them. They get the spotlight. But I'm telling you, common people. I mean, there, there's a. I mean, if this was that show, I would tell you, you know, how, what people are more likely to go into it. It's usually people who have to be bosses and running things all day. They they typically try to find that type of relief and that release of not having to control things. So then they totally submit and don't have to be dominant anymore. So they get dominated. It's a very interesting dynamic, but it's textbook, man. It's very common. Because, you know, what, what happens when we hear these, uh, when we hear these stories, we just think we, we become the poster uh, children for dysfunctional sexual behavior. It's like we're the ones who are involved in all this crazy sexual uh, activities and nobody else is. And, and, yeah. and the, other, the outside world looks at it and says, yeah, that's what those black people do. You know, and then again, they're, they're savages, they're animals. So that's, yeah. that's why they behave in their way. Well, we just sex the way that, you know, they teach us the missionary position and all that other stuff. The, we're, nope. we're, the deviant stuff comes from our part of the, our community. How do you see all yeah. that? Yeah, right, Carl. Those people who those people they know they lying if they saying that because though you know <laughs> we 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 learned it from somewhere, Carl. Let me say that now again though. Remember what I said earlier is that they put the spotlight on this particular group to what persuade that group, the everyday person in that group, and so you know now like you hear like you see these videos of young sisters, young boys, young girls. They talk about the type of person they like. They like the thug. Like, but especially when they're interviewing young girls, you know, teenage, 16, 17, 18 years old, what type of boyfriend do you like? You want a square guy or you want a hustler or a thug? Or, you know, you want somebody to argue, you want somebody to fight you, violent, you know, and they go for the violent part. They go for the one that fights them, the one that will smack them, the one that will quote unquote put them in their place. And that's what this is about. It's about influencing the younger generations to be okay with this type of behavior and this type of treatment. And it, it, it's really removing their choice. It's removing their ability to sit back and say, hey, do I really like that stuff? Because some people genuinely like that stuff. Do I really like that stuff? Or am I being duped into accepting that stuff? It removes that choice from them, Carl. And then they, they get sucked into that lifestyle, believing that that's the way that everybody does it. When in reality, it's not. It is common. You know, there are a lot of adults that participate in these worlds, but it's not the default way to engage. And that's what happens. The children begin to believe that this is the default way that it's supposed to happen. Right. They see all this lovey dubby stuff, Kiki Palmer and her baby daddy. They would lovey dubby together, they got a baby, but they're fighting, got these videos, these pictures coming out. They think that this is just part of the course. This is normal relating and it's not. Well, let me ask you this a ten away from the top of the hour. How much of this is a power struggle? Because it seems like the men are older, they've got more money, uh, and it's a power thing, and the women involved are younger. Not all of them, but some of them. Uh, right. Is that part of it as well? Well, not necessarily, uh, because you have you have just as many uh, older women with younger men as with younger men as well. Uh, but the thing is, is that society skews they, they they paint that picture a little differently. Uh, one one way that you could verify this for yourself, Carl, or your listeners, 
if you if you look at, for example, uh, situations where teachers are uh, uh, basically sexually abusing their students, they call it when you when it's a woman teacher, the story usually reads uh, inappropriate relationship or had sexual relationship with a student. Right. But if it's a male teacher, they say rape, sexually abused, sexually violated. Right. And it's just the way that those stories are told. And it makes it seem like one is worse than the other. It makes it seem like one happens more than it happens on the other side of it. But it, it's it, that dynamic exists. And part of it, when you're talking about an older man and a younger woman, uh, some have reported that it's about the resources that the older man has, right? He has more resources. He has a, more of a bag. You know, he's got more expendable income. Uh, he's usually more stable in life uh, and therefore can provide more than a younger guy could, you know? And so, you know, we've got stories going all the way back to where, Older guys would come by the high school and pick up, you know, pick up the girls from the high school, you know, and the girls willingly went. And in some situations, their mothers knew that their boyfriends were older guys, right, and was okay with it because, again, we got this provider, we got this provider role that is either natural or has been forced upon men, whichever. That's a whole other conversation. But it's that provider role, and you know, you have to have resources to be a good provider. And some say that you know, women naturally seek a provider you know, in life. And that's just the way that the dynamic has been naturally established or has been socially established. Nine away from the top. I have a tweet question for you. Tweeter says, will you ask your guest if he thinks this may have started happening about 20 years ago with Beyonce and other entertainers with independent women, women's songs? Yeah. And so there's definitely, I don't know if it began there, but that's definitely another pivotal moment in it to where they promote independence uh, and a part of that is to remove the authoritative voice of a man from most people's experience. So that when you do get a man who's in a position of authority, who who is stable and masculine and can call his own shots, you know, it becomes an adverse experience for most people. So then you reject and there's no longer respect for a man, no longer respect for uh, that role that Dr. Weldon was talking about, a fatherhood, you know, being that stable, protective provider, you know, the one that's there to help guide, you know, the family. There's no more respect for that because, you know, the, the tables have been turned. The man's voice has been diminished. It has been uh, villainized, been, been made to be a villain. Like you say, dusty, crusty, you know, worthless. You know, we have son husbands and husband sons. And the woman has been elevated to the role of being the dominant masculine person in the dynamic, at least on the surface and at least by appearance. And so <clears throat> songs like that help to encourage that. But all the while, while Beyonce was singing Independent Women, she had her man. She had her husband. And when she was um, uh, saluting him at one of his birthday gatherings, this video of this, you know, she talks about how he taught her how to be a woman, you know, how, you know, by him being the type of man that he was, it allowed her to grow more into her femininity and womanhood, you know. So it's a, it's a dual message. It's one for the public and entertainment, and it's one that's happening behind the doors, closed doors. It's safe to say this. we haven't heard the end of this. This is going to continue, <laughs> So, we, but we've got to run out of here. We're out of time right now. Dr. Jeff, how can folks follow you on social media? All right, so I am the real Dr. Jeff Menzies. That's D-R, and Jeff, J-E-S-F, Menzies is M-E-N-Z-I-S-E. That's on Facebook, and then Dr. Jeff Menzies, D-R-J-E-F-F-M-E-N-Z-I-S-E on Instagram. Uh, website is mindonthematter.com. 
All right. Thank you, Dr. Jeff. Thanks for the information you shared with us this morning. I apologize to the folks who are calling late. you got to call early. you got questions for Dr. Jeff. But we'll be back tomorrow. And again, just don't wait till the last minute, folks. A bunch of folks wanted to talk to you, Dr. Jeff. But uh, we're out of time. we got to go. So, folks, stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power.